2: Learn more at marines.com.
3: Football is right around the corner. Get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And with the NFL returning, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when you bet $1
4: or more on any football game. Listen up, because you don't want to miss this.
3: Hello and welcome to episode 46 of Tendy Talk presented by the BLPA and the Hockey Podcast Networks. This episode is a little late as I severely underestimated how much time it would take me to go through all the audio from a year's worth of episodes to create a best of episode. At the same time as I was editing the episodes, I realized it was starting to get quite a bit long. So this isn't going to be a best of the full year, but more like the first half of the year, going through episode 24 with Dane and Ed Belfour, I'll wait till maybe Christmas time to uh, come up with the second half of the best of the first year. When I dropped my first episode, I'd hope I'd make it past 15 episodes. As much of the research I had done said most podcasts don't last past that mark. Well, here we are on episode 46, closing out the first year of weekly episodes, where I did take a short summer break. It's been an absolute delight and thrill to talk to all of the goalies I have, from talking to my childhood idol Eddie Belfour and his son Dane, to Bantam and high school goalies. I do believe I'm fulfilling my mission to talk to goalies of all ages and skill levels. Sure, I try to book goalies with name recognition, as they'll draw in listeners, but I think some of the best conversations I've had have been with beer leaguers and youth goalies who you probably couldn't name if I asked you to. I don't know how long I'll keep this podcast thing going, but I will make this promise. As long as I can continue to schedule goalies to talk to, I will keep doing it. Who knows? Maybe one day I can grow to the point that the big-name goalies are contacting me to come on the podcast. Well, I'll stop rambling now and take you to the best-of mashup of the first half of the year and some of the best clips from the first 24 episodes of Tendy Talk. So, without further ado... Let's get to the best of. Thanks for joining me, Dustin. It's uh, a pleasure to have you on. Um, Well, hopefully this is the first of many episodes and
1: (laughs) not the only one. Absolutely. We'll see. Right. You know, the funny thing is I, I, I set my bag down and, you know, I was looking around the room and I noticed next to me was, was, gear that looked like his and i was like oh that would be funny if it was you know Kane Van gate and here he comes walking in and i was like oh i know this guy you know whatever but uh super nice you know yeah super kind of quiet and calm you know i kind of expected him to be that that internet persona that he is but you know he's he's definitely putting on a a persona for that but uh yeah (laughs) hilarious guy absolutely great dude so it it was really cool getting to meet him Uh, Well, the fun thing about Nashville, you know, just like you said, you never know who you're going to run into, but uh, went out to an open hockey one day and talking to this goalie, nice guy, you know, awesome set of gear. And, you know, we're just talking goalie stuff and, you know, kind of skate off, whatever. And this guy's like, hey, do you know who that is? And I was like, no, who is that? He's like, oh, that's a drummer for Slipknot. Like, are you Mm. kidding me? The guy plays goalie? Yeah, Yeah, Max Weinberg's son. Yeah, so he was out there. He was just out there ripping around, just, you know, casually talking to him. I had no idea. Yeah, uh, i sure pretty like good. Like I said, too. you never know who you're going to run into.
3: You've had the opportunity as an e-bug to suit up once. They, they, they didn't put you on the bench, but you suited up once, and that was for the Bruins, which was interesting because as a kid, that, that was your team, you know. So what was it like being the Nashville e-bug but getting to dress for your childhood team and, you know, be ready for them?
1: I mean, honestly, it was, it was pretty unreal. You know, I mean, growing up playing NHL video games, you know, I would always create myself and put myself on the Boston Bruins. And, you know, as a kid growing up, that was, you know, always kind of the, the daydream out in the, the, the driveway playing around, like, oh, you know, playing for Boston Bruins. And, and uh, you know, all of a sudden, here I am sitting in the Bruins locker room, shaking Chara's hand, and you know, it's it's just this crazy, surreal experience. And uh, yeah, it was it was incredible.
3: Now, I I heard on some of the other podcasts you've been on that you know they they had you get dressed, and you were uh, in the hallway. You know, at what point did they bring you into the Bruins locker room? Was it just after the game, as you were getting your stuff off? You know, where where do they normally keep the e-bug when they're getting ready and? kind of in waiting?
1: Well, I mean, it was, it was a kind of a chaotic um, environment because nobody really knew what, what to do or what was going on. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I quickly ran down there and, and put Tugarask's gear on and, um, you know, I was just kind of sitting in the empty locker room and I'm just like, you know, no, I can't like, there was no TV in there. I didn't know what was going on. And, and one of the trainers was like, Hey, there's a TV out in the hallway. If you just want to sit down and, and, you know, watch the game. And, so of course I was like, Yeah, I mean I at least I want to watch and see what's going on just to know if anything happens. <laughs> right. But you know, during intermission the team uh, you know, came into the locker room and, you know, I I wanted to make sure that, that I wasn't in there, you know, distracting anybody or, you know, anything like that. So, you know, I just kinda stayed in the in the hallway there and, and guys would kinda come pop in and out of the hallway and, and then uh, yeah, after the game, you know, went into the locker room, got undressed and you know, it's it's crazy being in a locker room full of, you know, an NHL a full team environment and uh yeah another really great experience
3: now you mentioned wearing Tuca's equipment because this was you weren't really supposed to be the e-bug that night you just happened to be at the game you know because normally you'd have your own equipment there correct so Tuca's stuff how did that fit you know it had you had to go
1: into the game did it fit was it too big you know I, actually I was pretty impressed I mean I, I'd never worn Vaughn pads until then and you know I was I was pretty impressed with with the Vaughn pads because I, I had tried Vaughn pads before and I really didn't like the feel you know they kind of felt like like a pillow you know strapped mm-hmm. to my leg and I but uh, I was impressed with how they felt they fit great um, you know the skates didn't fit me so they had to go get a, a pair of Pecorino <laughs> skates from the back so I had to borrow those and you know, it's kind of funny because I'm, I'm wearing a, you know, Nashville Predators like undershirt and then, uh, you know, Tuca Rask's gear. And, uh, you know, had anything really happened, I would have ended up having to put on Tuka's mask, which, you know, seeing that in person just alone was, was really cool. Yep. I mean, I've I've had bad beer just on my own. So the worst post <laughs> beer that anyone's brought for anyone else to drink, I don't know. I um, I will say the the worst post beer I've experienced was, uh, you know, traveling up to um, Minneapolis to play for a buddy's beer league team. You know, he said, hey, I, I need a goalie. And, uh, you know, would you want to fly in and play? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> why not? You know, it's the middle of winter and I fly into Minneapolis. And, yeah. and, of course, all the guys are like, all right, we're having beers in the parking lot. And I'm standing out there like, what are you guys doing? Like, this is all for like beers in the parking lot? Oh, my God. <laughs> I was so frozen.
3: um so you know you mentioned my flexibility the first time you saw me on the ice what were you thinking in my unorthodox style
4: yeah i no you, you were you had sort of this mensly flavor to you already. yeah <laughs> okay it was um let me see if i can come up with some names that, that you kind of
3: i i knew my uh, role at that point already
4: so there was like Names that are coming to my head right now, like Bob Sobey. Yep. Um, Kelly Rudy, but then you kind of had this whole. Who was I? Can't remember his name right now, but he was he was a goalie for Carolina. And was, Trevor Kidd Well, uh, Trevor Kid, but there was an, an older one.
3: Oh, Archie urbe
4: That's it. Arches yeah. Arches. But he was amazing. <laughs> Right, but you didn't know how he was going to get it, but he got it. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's kind of where I am. Well,
5: I kind of agree with Richie, to be <laughs> honest with you. You know, we used to, I think the fun, the thing I, the thing I enjoyed about you was, um, one, you, you, were, you were just like a sponge. Mm-hmm. You know, anything that I would say or suggest or whatever, you were, you were all about it. Yep. No problem. I can do that. Or I can, you know, you know, there was never a no in you, but I, but I really thought that there was a, there was a great chemistry between us. I mean, we, Mm -hmm. we joked around, I think we joked around more than probably any other goalie that I ever coached that we just, we just had, we enjoyed being together. Mm -hmm. You know, I liked working with you on the ice. I just liked, you know, I liked your attitude and uh, you know, Coming out of Chicago, there haven't been a whole lot of goalies coming out of Chicago. <laughs> Brother Rice, if I remember right, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, me and Eddie Olchek out of there, but goalies out of Chicago, it's probably me and Scott Darling.
5: hmm Yeah. So, but yeah, I don't think, uh, I think, I think if you wanted to, if you wanted to, uh, you had to get past the eight ball, being from Brother Rice was, I think, your biggest, your yeah. biggest biggest and You did that just fine, so...
6: crazy my my first time really first two times back on the ice and and my last beer league game was middle of march so i think it was like march 10th and it was a really exciting game i mean it was our quarterfinal playoff game we won so we were you know you know pumped up to know we were heading to the semifinals. and then boom it's like that's it you don't get a chance to see your buddies and say hey by the way i'll see you in six months like it's just done right so you automatically miss You know, the playoff atmosphere of beer league hockey, which is always fun. You miss seeing the guys on the team. You miss being at the rink. And then, you know, we've all gone through stretches where we haven't been able to play, whether it's injury or work or life or whatever, but knowing that nobody is playing. And like, if you do go out and try and play, you're compromising your health and the health of others around you. Like it brings a completely different dynamic to missing the sport that yep. you love. And I think when I finally got on the ice, I did one, one like semi-private session at a, at a training facility at, called mountain high hockey. And that was in July, but my first real time back on a full sheet of ice. Um, again, like you said, it was just a couple of weeks ago. And I don't know how to explain the feeling, but it felt like my brain and my whole being just got like, replenished and rejuvenated. Like, Mm -hmm. like I was standing under um, a waterfall and just being rejuvenated mind, body, and spirit. That's what it felt like. And the sweat that I got on and just the sensations of feeling my edges in the ice and, you know, reacting to pucks and tracking pucks. It felt amazing. Like there, there's a difference between like feeling rust, right? Like when you feel a little off and you're like, maybe not reacting cleanly or like you know, you give up a couple of softies and then there's that feeling of like, this feels so new again. It's amazing. Like you really get the sensation of being a goaltender and it's like playing the position for the first time all over again. That's kind of like what I felt. And it was, one of the most beneficial things for my mental health yep. that I've felt in a really long time. Like it's great to have the conversations and do the lift the mass stuff. And you feel the benefits from that, from having the conversations talking to guys like yourself, but I don't think I've really ever experienced something quite, I, yeah, for lack of better term, spiritual in terms of getting back on the ice and feeling the game and feeling the puck again, it was really, like I, like you said like just something that was desperately needed and yeah. um just just a really cool experience
3: yeah it, it was funny i remember walking into the rink the first time and just that deep breath of you know breathing in that ice air it it was like it filled you up and then um i i for i think i was talking to um chip from totally offsides and mm-hmm. you know she she put it a good way of you know it it was almost like uh being on some kind of three-day coffee caffeine high without <laughs> having the coffee, you know, the coffee mm-hmm. afterwards. It's just, I remember waking up the next morning and I was like, God, that felt good.
6: It really is amazing how, how the body and the mind works and, and it all comes back to you, even though you feel like, holy crap, I haven't skated in three or four months. Like, do I even remember how to do things? And it's like, no, it's like, it's ingrained. It's in your DNA almost. And, and it, you don't forget. So like a lot of goalies worry about, you know, taking that time off Mm -hmm. and what it's going to, how it's going to impact their long-term development or their short-term success. And it's like, you know what, if you just don't worry about those things and you just go out and play and be free and and enjoy it and really take in those different senses that come with being a goalie. Like it's amazing how fast it comes back. And uh, you don't really get a lot of time to realize that because hockey's become basically a year round sport. Um, So I think even though it's been rough for a lot of us, um, there's always a silver lining to it. And that's kind of been the silver lining for me is that like, wow, this is a really good way to remember that. Like, if I miss time due to an injury or for whatever reason, it's okay. I'll come back and I'll still be, you know, a, a decent goalie. Yep. You know, I'll still have my skill set there. I'll still stop two out of ten. Something that I think happens in your mid to late thirties or even older, you don't know how much longer you've got to enjoy the game, um, so you stop worrying about the short-term results and you stop being results-driven, and you just enjoy, enjoy the process, the game. and then you end up playing better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I've got a really funny story. It's not a post-game beer, but I was playing drop-in in Denver, and I skate up to the bench to you know grab some water, and it's just that typical green Gatorade bottle on the bench, and I spray it all over my face, and it was beer. <laughs> and I was pissed off because – you know the stench of like warm beer i mean i guess it wasn't that warm but it wasn't it's in your eyes yeah it's like in your mask and it attaches to the foam and you can't get rid of the smell i was so pissed at that guy but (laughs) it was also hilarious and everyone was (laughs) laughing because it's just literally skate to the bench spray it all over my face try to drink something and it's just beer and i was just like what is going on guys so that was that was a pretty funny moment
7: couple years in after my parents realized i'm kind of serious into it they uh they got me a a custom painted mask and then i remember the next season i i was like all right i'm ready for my next paint job you know i (laughs) I was probably nine years old and uh i'm like okay like what's my paint job this year and i oh no like that's your that's your paint job for the next like four years
3: yeah until you get a new bucket yeah oh
7: yeah but i'm like you know (laughs) lundquist just got his Second mask of the year, where's mine? So, yeah. um, I think I ended up uh, like sanding it down myself and kind of trying to paint my own mask, uh, within a year of getting it custom painted, which they weren't too happy about. But, I was uh, gonna
3: say, what, what did mom and dad think when they walked in the uh, room and see you uh, taking the sanding pad to your mask?
7: Well, I think <laughs> there was definitely some back and forth going into it, and it, I don't think they ever budged and then eventually they're just like you know what it's your helmet if you really want to do it then go ahead but we're not we're not getting it redone so that Mm -hmm. was the they made sure I knew that and uh you know I the first one uh, I was pretty happy like we they went out uh I got like a little starter airbrush kit and I tried to do my own thing and um I mean looking back it's not too bad for my first time but obviously uh there's been a lot of progress (laughs) My my last year of junior, um, I had a coach who would not accept losing at all. (laughs) Like, he expected us to go undefeated in the season, and we we had a very good team, I think, up to Thanksgiving break. uh, We hadn't lost, and we were playing the day before Thanksgiving. I had a flight booked. Uh, I have family in Minnesota. My grandparents live there, so I had a flight booked to Minnesota the next morning, and we're playing. And uh, it's, it's one, one going into the third period. And so we're in the locker room and he's, he comes in, he kicks like the garbage can starts throwing all the sticks. And he he tells us that if we don't win this game, he's canceling our Thanksgiving break. No one's leaving. (laughs) We're going to bag skate at like the whole day on Thanksgiving day. So obviously like, uh, it was just nuts. Like, I don't, I don't know if people responded well, but I mean, at that point for me, the only thing going through my head was like, I'm, I'm going on the flight either yeah. way. I'm I don't see grandma and grandpa. <laughs> if I, Oh yeah. If I give up five goals in the third period and we end up losing, I don't care. I'm still going on the flight. You're not canceling Thanksgiving. Um, we ended up, it actually went to OT. So then he comes in again in between does kind of the same thing. We ended up fortunately winning. Uh, cause I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would have been kicked off the team or what. Because I was, like I said, I was going on the flight. Um, but then fast forward another month or so to Christmas, same thing happens. <laughs> Except this time, the, be- the best part was they, uh, they did up the room. We had a, like kind of equipment managers and they would kind of make it holiday, homey since mm-hmm. we all lived away from home. And so they put like a Christmas tree and Christmas lights in our locker room. Well, he came in, and i think I think we were losing, so he comes in and he punts the Christmas tree and uh and rips down the Christmas lights. but you could tell like when he kicked the tree, it was a real tree, so i like he was hurting I'm pretty sure he broke his foot, but he was like trying to keep his face, but he was clearly in pain, so he uh he ended up kicking the tree and threatening to cancel Christmas and all that, and it was just uh we ended up losing that one too, but um I think he, he ended up letting us still have Christmas, but uh, just some crazy stuff that, you know, uh, That that's probably up there with some of the crazy stories.
8: You, you started structuring your program towards goalies because there was a need and an
3: opportunity and you liked playing goalie in street hockey But you weren't playing ice hockey at the time. It wasn't until not that long ago you decided, hey, if I'm going to coach these goalies, I need to get myself out on the ice and learn to play. So that's been fun to watch on social media, your uh, progression of being a, you know, new learn to skate goalie to, you know, I I would say you're up there with the beer league goalie veterans where you're comfortable in net now, what's that been like? And why did you make that decision to get out on the ice and put yourself in front of the puck?
9: Um, well, and, and again, like I'm blessed because they grew up in a time when even the boys who played hockey, it wasn't like it is now, you know, they might've had one or two practices and a game yeah. or something. So everyone played road hockey after school, like yeah. every day, everyone until the streetlights came on. And then we had backyard rinks, too. So, you know, we all, like, so I didn't know how to skate. And I had played some adult hockey, like, as a defenseman, um, um, which was okay. Like, I I didn't mind it. But then, uh, so I always sort of had that goalie gene. Like, it's, you know, like, it just (laughs) is kind of in you. And it's like, I kind of want to get the pads. Yeah. So I just went and bought all used stuff, used skates, used pads, used gloves, used like everything used. Yep. And uh, the glove and the blocker just stunk like, yeah, like, <laughs> so bad. But, <laughs> um, um, and I just had a blast. But, so the reason I did it was really to feel, because unless you, I can apply the science to it, but there's always like, um, you know, there's that one muscle that you miss. That yep. You don't even realize, you know, so, so that's what I wanted to feel what it felt like. What were the, what were the sticking points? What was, what got the most tired? Um, and so that's been super helpful. It's really changed um, how, how I approach training goalies. If you don't get a video of mine from probably even like oh, four years ago. Um, I would always talk in terms of, and we're going to get a big, powerful push. Yep. Well, now that I can push without falling down, it's like if I do a big, powerful push, I'm a foot and a half, two feet right out of my crease. Yep. So it's like, so that's me. So we don't need big, powerful pushes. We need quick, powerful pushes at yep. different ranges of motion. You know, pushing from here is fine, uh, but we also have to develop the skill of pushing from here you know, generating out of range power. So, so that's kind of how it evolved. Um, really just coming back to sort of a position I loved more as a scientist to start with. But yeah, we play, we're not playing right now. I wish they knew that mobility is not the same as flexibility. So stretching just to try to do the splits. Um, doesn't really translate onto the ice and yeah some people's hips can do the splits some people's hips cannot do the splits so um you know and, and nor do they need to so if they i'd like them to understand that mobility is a combination of flexibility plus stability it's what range of motion can i control how far out can i reach but then still pull myself back have that strength to pull myself back if, if I was going to pick one thing, that would be the one. And that, and that's where it has to start.
3: So I I read the great City Pages article uh, about mm-hmm. you. And what I liked about it was at, in there, it was talking about prepping for the uh, stadium series. You know, as you were a kid, your dad gave you pointers. Mm-hmm. For the stadium series, did you have to maybe give your dad some pointers like, hey, this is how the game's played today? Yep. Yeah, it was <laughs> It was
10: cool. It was like a little bit uh, – yeah, like you said, it was just roles reversed a little bit too, I yeah. think. Um, so he played uh, – when I was in high school, he played out in Pittsburgh for the Washington-Pittsburgh alumni game that they did out at uh, – was it Heinz? Heinzfield. Heinz Field. Yeah. Heinz Field. So he played in that one, and he went out, and he skated a little bit like – maybe a couple of weeks before he borrowed some gear from a place. of so stuff that wasn't his own except for his mask. Yeah. Um, you know, and went out there and played and I think it ended up being like five, five and he goes, you know what? I felt so uncomfortable. It always felt like I was going to hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, he was like, it really wasn't fun. And then this other game rolled around and, you know, the, another funny side story to that is the game, the North stars game rolled around and he was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do it. Like, you know, I'm getting older, all this stuff. And then, he got a text from Jill Malash who goes, hey, I'm playing in that game. I'm hopping in that. Are you going to play too? And he was like, oh, no, because Jill's is 10 years yeah. older than he yeah. is. And he's like, there's no way Jill's can play, and I can complain about not playing. Yeah. So I actually um, have a sticker of his mask uh, on yeah. my water mm-hmm. bottle here. Oh, yeah, I know. And I can't believe he wore that in the game. Unbelievable. Oh, that was like, awesome. So cool. So once my dad committed to that, he was like, you know what, it's time. To... I want to really get ready to do this. And, yeah, you know, if I'm going to do it, do it right. Get on the ice. Yeah. And feel good out there. And I mean, he, again, it's second nature for him being a hockey player for so long, but I mean, he was doing yoga like three times a week. He was working out (laughs) with a trainer like he was, you know, him and I were getting on the ice, you know, maybe once, twice a week, especially more towards, you know, the game. Yeah. And we did some sessions. You can actually look it up on YouTube. There's some video that we took because he wanted to watch it back after. Yeah, was like we didn't really do this back in the day. So, <laughs> so we set the GoPro camera and and uh, watch it. We just did some drills, and he was like getting used to the gear. So CCM got him some gear. The old North Stars. Trainers. Yeah, they look great. And yeah, and again, another funny side story with Jills is that. Um, my dad actually asked him, Hey, are you interested? You know, what do you want? And he goes, Oh yeah, that sounds great. Just give me whatever you're getting. Like, (laughs) like no worry about specs or size or anything. Yeah. Just give me what you got. Yeah. Whatever. So, and and that was like a two totally different stories. I mean, Jill said he skated like once or twice. He borrowed my chest protector, the breezers and all that (laughs) stuff. He literally brought skates and like a cup, I think, in in his mask that he got made before the game. So yeah, I think my dad really put in the work for that game and, that and it paid off. I mean, I thought he played great, and he said he felt great in there and yeah. all that stuff too. So it was fun to watch. God, it was. I think it was either in the first or second year that I was practicing with the Wild and doing the emergency goalie thing. I went out and I had a slightly broken stick, and then, like the first shot of practice, it broke. So I went back to the bench, grabbed my other one, and it had. And it wasn't broken. And the next thing, I can't remember who shot it, but they shot it and it just blew the shaft off the top. And I was like, I don't have any sticks. You know, do you guys got any, you know, who's got extras in here? And they had just traded Kemper. So I guess if I could remember that timeline, but they had a bunch of his old warrior sticks there. Yeah. And Kemper is not a small guy and he used a long stick and it was like a 26 inch paddle or 27 inch yeah. paddle warrior foam core. And That's I was using what I use. Yeah. And it was so heavy. <laughs> and I had to tape it up really quick on the bench to get back out there. And my arm was so sore. And I think it was, it must've been when I think Doobie was hurt for a little bit or something like that. And I was out there, he was taking the day off but he was at the rank. And I was talking to him after and he goes, your arm looks so dead. Your, your blocker hand from holding that (laughs) stick. He goes, I don't know how Darcy ever used any of those sticks. Like he was laughing. And and I remember my arm was so just picking it up to make a blocker save. And that kind of goes back (laughs) in like the whole practicing thing. Like when you don't practice regularly, you're not used to, you know, yeah 200, 300 shots in an hour i'm used to you know 30 shots in a beer league game and yep. you know really like 20 minutes of actually playing so i mean it it was exhausting and then on top of that i used that super heavy warrior stick that i just wasn't used to and it was too big and, <laughs> yeah but it was funny um god who's the team we were playing one of the teams and everybody had like the turn stuff mm-hmm. and uh and uh they all had like, you know, old like avalanche, like return pants or Dallas Stars gear or whatever to like match their team jerseys or whatever. And I think one of our guys like called him team gift shop or whatever. And it's like you guys went around, <laughs> the, went around the league and tried to pick up, uh, went to the gift shop to pick up all their gear because there's no way they actually played for yeah. any of those teams. So I would love to be a goalie in today's, in today's
5: world, my gosh, the, the stuff that they have and how light it is, yep. you know, I had the old leather pads and they got wet and they got heavy and, and uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was complete. When I was a squirt, I used a baseball glove as a catcher's mitt, you know, as your, as your catch glove, because the the catch gloves that they had, the old Cooper gloves were too stiff and you couldn't, you know, I was I was mm-hmm. nine years old. I couldn't squeeze it. So I used a <laughs> baseball glove and, you know, so it, uh, times are definitely uh, very different now in terms of, in terms of equipment and, and uh, you know, I don't like to sound like an, like an old man, but uh, you know, it really was very different. And...
3: When, when you started, did you have the two piece chest protector like I did or? Yeah,
5: we yeah. did. Absolutely. And the, and the, so it was about a quarter inch thick. The arm protectors were worthless because yeah. all it was, was a little piece of foam stuck in a little pocket. Yeah. yeah it, um, it was you know it was it was it was a different time and you know
3: for a lot of hockey players high school is the end of the line for me it wasn't my freshman year we had 24 goalies trying out for six spots what the heck did you see in me to keep me as the sixth goaltender
5: you know, <laughs> but you know Joe the thing is, is is a lot of times you look at character i mean mm-hmm. there's a lot more to you know you 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 have to you have to weigh not just not just a person's individual talent but you also have to look at at them as a person you know i mean look at put it put it this way look at all you did for st mary's besides play hockey mm-hmm. you know i mean there was there was stuff that we were doing you know you, i remember you making the mixtapes for yep. uh you know to to play in the games i mean things like that you know there was so much more to st mary's hockey for you than just playing the game.
4: Mm-hmm. I mean, you
5: were a part of it. You, you lived a part of it. It wasn't just, you know, two hours of practice in a, in a three hour game. I mean, you were, you were a part of it. And I think that, that you see that in people when they just, I mean, just their effort and tryouts, you know, it's, it's not just who's the best mm-hmm. because, and you know, you got 24 and, as, as I've always said, and this is this is something that I firmly believe that people don't understand, is when you come to St. Mary's to play hockey, you usually are the best on your team, okay? Mm-hmm. When you get here, everybody was the best. Right. Now you've got, you know, what were the 80, 80 people tried out? They were, they were all the best mm-hmm. you know, on their teams or at least, you know, maybe first-line players or starting goalie or whatever it is. And, and so there's not a lot of difference between A and Z. So what you do is you look for what intangibles does that person bring? How hard are they going to work? How mm-hmm. much are they going to accept their role? You know, not everybody's going to be the starting goalie. And goalie is probably the hardest position of all when it comes to, when it comes to you know, playing. It's kind of like being a pitcher, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could be a relief pitcher and maybe pitch once a, you know, once a week. You know, or you can be a you know you can be a goalie who's the 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 third goalie, and you may never play, but you know what? You're an integral part of that team. And I think that I think that more and more people are people are realizing that teammates are realizing that they're realizing the importance of every member of that team, not just that starting goalie. And I think that those are the things that that it's not easy to be a a number three goalie. It's very hard because basically you practice. Mm-hmm. you know, you get to dress for games. Okay. you know, you don't know, hope that somebody gets hurt, but you know what, they might go <laughs> in. But, but I think that it takes a special person to be able to fill that role. And mm-hmm. and that's, and that's, you know, that's, in, that position is so important and you could have a, you could have a third string goalie or, you know, you, heck you could be the third string on the JV, you know, but if you're not, if you're not a part of the team, if you're not going to, if you're worried about me and that we, Mm-hmm. Then you're gonna become a cancer in the locker room and that's just gonna be bad for everybody. Well, you know, that type of that type of personality, we as coaches, when you have trials, we see that stuff. We see how hard people work. You know, we're doing whether you're doing a Herbie or whatever it is, we see how hard people work and how hard they want it. And and that that weighs into it. People don't realize that how much that weighs into a selection, especially like you said, when you've got twenty-four goalies and you're only picking six. Yep. You know, you've got to look at more than just, okay, how are they going to fit with the team?
3: Well, I've said for years I was a uh, four-year JV All-Star. I, I I, was a locker room guy, and I had the fastest door in the MIAC.
5: But you know what? <laughs> you had a blast for four years. Oh God! And,
3: and that's what I followed up with. They said for four years I didn't have to pay extra to play hockey, and those are probably four years of my favorite times playing hockey okay. too.
5: I did have one when I was coaching uh I was coaching peewees and uh we were a peewee a team that should have been a peewee b team we had 10 skaters and we were playing in Hastings I always stood on the bench because I was too short so I always stood on the on the bench and we were in our defensive zone because that's where we lived is in the defensive zone and I was right at the blue line right where the ref was and um I had a puck in my hand and I go to him I says hey Stripes." he kind of looks over his shoulder at me I says, is it okay if I throw this puck down there? Because they won't let us use that one. <laughs> <laughs> that would probably be my best, my best shirt.
11: Sure. Way back in the early seventies, I started playing hockey um, about 1972. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, apparently, apparently this was in the <laughs> days when they didn't even have glass all the way around the rinks. And as a five-year-old, I understand that I used to sort of stop and talk to people in the crowd as the game was co- passing me by. <laughs> and uh, so um, I guess the coach wanted to find a better use of my, my, um, I don't know, my energy or maybe to restrain me somewhere on the ice. And I got home from school one day and my mother said to me, David, the uh, the coach called and he's wondering if he'd like to try being a goalie. And apparently, I don't remember the moment myself because I was five or six, I looked her in the eye and I said, "Oh, mummy, it's what I've wanted my whole life." <laughs> so it was a it was a good moment, and and that's what led me to gold. So
3: when we look at great athletes, Ted Williams, um, yeah, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, they haven't turned out to be great coaches uh, because they don't know they can just do it. They don't know how to think about it and do it but then when we look at some of the really good goalie coaches for you know mm-hmm. Jimmy Wait, he was a marginal backup in the NHL but is a pretty darn good goalie coach. Then you've got other guys like Francois Lair and Mitch corn and John Elkins who never made it, you know, but yeah. they're some of the best yeah. coaches out there. It's it's interesting.
11: 100%. I was I was on this morning interviewing uh Franz Jean the goalie coach for um Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah. And exactly the same with him. Um in fact I I ran the numbers just just for fun and and my memory is terrible. But it is over fifty percent <laughs> of the goaltenders and the goaltending coaches in the National Hockey League never played in the National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. And then there's another group there of guys who who only played a handful of games, a, a very small handful. So um yeah, there's some there's something to that, isn't there? That uh that willingness and desire to study the game. And and really in a sense the guys who've made it as great coaches who played the game say a bill ranford Mm -hmm. that really i I think speaks volumes about them that they've they've taken that skill that they had but been humble enough to know that they've had they've still got so much to learn as well
3: it's funny when i started this podcast it started out about a year ago i had the idea and then i went ah i don't know because you guys launched your podcast Mike McKenna had his out and there are a few others I found and I'm going well that niche is being filled right now Uh, you know so what's my voice going to bring to the story that's not already being told and kept kicking it around and then finally for father's sake my wife and kids got me the microphone and a book and they said do it (laughs) that's That's where it started but then my brain went well it's not just firing up the computer. There's a lot more to it. So I had to learn that. And, you know, you mentioned finding the next guest, finding the next stuff that that's the hardest thing is keeping it, it going. Is. You know, it it, it's fun to look back and see what we've done, but to keep it moving isn't the easiest thing either, because you, I think naturally as athletes, we're not content just going with the norm. We want things to continuously get better too. <laughs> so, yeah, for sure. You know,
11: so you will achieve if you just keep going. Because yep. you've seen so many people come into the space over the last decade and uh and they just you know, for whatever for whatever reason it just doesn't continue. Yeah. And uh, I think having that staying power um, says a lot. So so good on you. Keep it going. Yeah. Keep it well, going. Because yeah. you're you're you have a unique voice. So uh shout out to Lucas Simpson at Magic Goaltending in Vancouver, BC. I uh, hope you're listening, Lucas. In fact, I'll make sure I send a link of this to you. Um, <laughs> is the best chirper uh, for kids because it's all it's all clean and good fun and gets the kids laughing too. We talked about having a, a chirp segment on in-goal led by Lucas. And one day after he'd scored a couple times on my son, he looked at him and he said, "Maddie, I bet you're really good at dodgeball. <laughs> and he had several others after that, but that, that floored both of us. Yeah. And it was, it was my kid's coach and I'm I'm not going to name him, but I (laughs) love the guy and he was absolutely brilliant. He's so funny. I actually kept sort of a little journal of everything that he said, because I got to be a fly on the wall and they had a a home game and he had decided that probably the guys were going to get all distracted by looking up into the stands at their girlfriends. Um, I don't know that many of them had them at the time, but it became (laughs) a fun, um, definitely sexist rant, but, but that's okay well it's probably not okay but it, for this for the purposes here it's okay cuz that's what you're looking for is a funny rant and he actually went to the whiteboard and said i don't want you guys turning around looking at the glass to wave at your girlfriend during this game cuz no guy has ever seen their girlfriend and he diagrams this spot on the on the wall <laughs> walk up the stairs here walk across the glass walk down to the bench grab your stick go into the corner dug a puck out for you to retrieve And since she's not doing that during the game for you, she's no good to you until the game's over. (laughs) So, and there were many other rants that were probably a little bit worse, but, um, yeah, but man, he loved those kids and looked after them too.
12: So, you know, Ron DiGergario, sorry, I always butcher his last name, <laughs> as we all call him, uh, he's the former USA Hockey president and current chairman of the board. But, you know, most importantly to us with Goalie Nation is he was a former goalie that yep. represented us back in you know the 60s and as a player and, and now has represented us in many different facets throughout. But he's been kind of the the godfather of goaltending for us. So, he and Phyllis there, again, who had had my job previously, were trying to think of metrics on how we can improve American goaltending. And, you know, they felt very strongly that the best representation of how well we're doing as a country would be to have the lion's share of minutes in the world's best leagues. Mm -hmm. And so it immediately became, you know, you know, by the year 2030, can we have the more Americans, you know, playing the minutes in the NHL, if if we can have the lion's share, which is above 50% of minutes played by Americans, then we really think we'll be the best goaltending development country world and you know as you know through seeing some of the stuff we do it, it starts at the grassroots level so our initiative certainly isn't all about just high performance hockey right. but again that's the bar that we're going to measure ourselves against yeah so i mean we feel very strong that this is going to be like a pyramid where we have to have a yeah. very strong base if we're ever going to reach that 51 and 30 goal so our number one objective is to get more people the chance to try goalie. And I'm sure everyone that's listening in is familiar with the old, you know, stigmas about goaltending that you're going to be a weirdo and it's not fun. It's too expensive and it's stressful. And, you know, there's just all these negatives that sometimes hover around goaltending. And, you know, our first job is just to shed light on all the positives and, you know, and then help break down some of the barriers that are true. I mean, goalie gear isn't cheap we know that to be true there is pressure and stress that's involved in the game and specifically the position so we're we're really trying to work hard at creating a new environment that eliminates some of those current barriers and then also shed light on all the things that we love so much about the position and again everyone that's involved in goaltending is obsessed with it you know it's all or out you know it's in or out all or nothing and uh you know, we just want to have more positive light shed around it. But more importantly, we just want more kids to try it to get the bug. And yeah. so, you know, kind of one of the things we talk about is, you know, catch your puck and you catch the bug. And I mean, you, if you get that glove save in, most kids want to come back. You just got to make sure that the first time they try it, they get. The bug. Yeah. And something I would recommend to every, you know, high level. Athlete. This summer, we all recommend put your gear in the garage and equipment playing hockey, give your hips a break, give your knees a break, let your body recover. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean your game needs to stop. Your development doesn't need to stop. So maybe it is putting more time into your, you know, mental skills, your off-ice strength and conditioning, your flexibility. I mean, there's so many things that you can do, your nutrition, your sleep habits, uh, and you can become a better goalie without putting your goalie gear on. Yeah. I don't want people to feel afraid that if they do put their gear in the, the garage for a couple months, that it's going to really, you know, inhibit their development because most likely it's actually going to help them in multiple ways and it'll multiply their career in ways they never thought possible. Yeah, so this one's not as much out of frustration, but it was absolutely wild. So this is the 2019 Women's World Championship, and we're playing at Espo, Finland, and we get scored on in overtime. Mm-hmm. And for those that aren't familiar with women's national team, um, no nation outside of Canada or U.S. has ever won a world championship or Olympics, and mm-hmm. they really haven't even been in the championship game very often. It's almost always Canada versus U.S. So Finland upsets Canada in the semis. And now they're playing us in the final, and it is over capacity by probably five thousand people. If this place caught on fire, we're all in trouble. <laughs> and they're chanting "Suomi," which means you know Finland or whatever, and yeah. Finnish. And they're—it's a madhouse. They score. They're going nuts. People are jumping over the glass, but their coach jumps on the ice and starts doing strict push-ups and <sighs> kicking the ice and doing push-ups. And we're all like, "What the heck? What a weird <laughs> way to sell it." He gets up and he starts flexing and we're like, what on earth is going on? Well then after that they end up calling it no goal for goaltending interference. We ended yeah. up winning the game in a shootout. And you know, just a wildest experience where we're thinking we're you know things are getting thrown at us and just constant booing and everyone feels like we cheated them out of the world championship and you know their coach just got finished up with his workout after the game. <laughs>
13: I knew going into that game it was going to be tough. We were the last play team in the league. They were first. Yep. And the Boston Garden was a smaller spike, So things happened way quicker there. I expect I was going to see some rubber that, that night. Um, I didn't expect that much. Uh, but uh, as the game went on, the, I think the novelty of what was going on kind of took over to the point that everybody was like, this is getting crazy, and it's almost like Boston wanted to shoot more. And at times, I was looking at my bench, wondering, "Are you are you wanting their shots on me?" Is that what we're doing? So, um, you know, but uh, I, I couldn't have felt that's a whole totally new experience. I couldn't feel any better than I did. The energy and the way the puck looked slow, everything just seemed to be clicking. And uh, when I look at that team, we had a really young team in Quebec that. A lot of those guys went on to win the Stanley Cup. Not me, but they didn't win it. Um, you know, and there was a lot of guys on that team that went, won that cup. So uh, we had stars there. They just weren't ready to to participate at the NHL level yet. Yep. And uh, years later, they're all in the Hall of Fame, I think, and, you know, for good reason. You know,
3: it, it's fun to watch the replays of that game because – there's almost a turning point where you can tell the Boston crowd was behind you, almost cheering you on. Um, Even though you were the goalie for the other team, they were um, definitely appreciating what was happening before their eyes.
8: Yeah.
13: And and part of that too was uh, Guy Lafleur was his last game in Boston Garden. I was playing with Guy, which was another highlight of my career I think and, um, you know, he got an ovation really late in the third period because they thought if there's a goal, this is his last shift, yeah. Uh, so he got a huge ovation. And the broadcasters, because I've watched the game, and I think it was Sanderson and, and somebody else, they said, Oh, Ron's getting an ovation from the Boston crowd, but it wasn't for me, it was for Gee. <laughs> and, um, you know, the, the broadcaster thought it was for me. Um, but I got mine with like eight seconds to go, and I made probably the luckiest, best guest single of the night on um, Ray Bork with like eight seconds to go. And that's when I got the crowd um, completely, you know, like an ovation from the crowd, which was uh, a little humbling. But, um, you know, to that day, I always said I wanted to play for the Boston Bruins after that day because I could never go wrong if I went and moved to Boston and played there.
14: It's, I think that I was a big uh, gear nerd because the name's so appropriate. Very early on, I remember, uh, I don't know how long you, you, you know, you've played, but back in the day, you know, the company is like Gunzo's. Yeah, Ocean that's where Taki. I got,
3: I got a pair of uh, pads from Gunzo's because I grew up in the Chicago oh, area. So yeah, nice. I've been there.
14: Okay. Okay. So remember, if, if they used to say that like Gunzo's out that black and white catalog yep. every oh, year. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. And so did I. And so what I would do, is I would carry those. Cause this is obviously we're, we're our childhood predated, you know, portable internet, devices. Yeah. yeah. So I would, I would have total long three or four catalogs with me everywhere I went mm-hmm. and it would to restaurants. And when my parents were running errands, I would just kind of just hunker down with these magazines and just thumb through them over and over and over until they yep. fell apart. And I was really fascinated by the gear side. And then when I went to retail, I kind of realized it's kind of two things very quickly. One, I was the only quote unquote goalie guy there. And it was amazing that, you know, at sixteen, um, I was able to talk to goalie parents and, and customers and and I knew a fair amount. I don't think I really realized how much I, I knew until I worked there, uh, and the and the value for that and the I remember very quickly the owners of the of the store, were like, no, we just want you to stand in the goalie section. <laughs> you know, that's 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 your, that's it. But then, so I realized, I realized, wow, I do know a bit about this. But also realizing once you've gotten a little peek behind the curtain, how much you don't know, and really, so that there's that, that new phase where I got to talk to the reps and gotten even more immersed in the gear world and kind of understood the business side a bit more. So it's like this big second education I got, kind of starting at literally at sixteen, was my first job. So yep. uh, which was really cool.
3: The rink I skated at Southwest Ice Arena, a shop opened up across the street, Hockey Unlimited, and it was run by uh, a father and son, and they were both goalies. So, of course, they uh, had all kinds of goalie equipment in there. They had pro, and they they loved the gear, too. Linus would always say, it doesn't matter how good you play. It matters how good you look. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, that's where I bought my pro mask, goalie helmet, and it's one of the few places I've seen them. Uh, they used to carry ice gear, uh, goalie equipment. I know you've seen oh, wow, some of yeah. that, some pictures of that. Uh, my understanding is it was white labeled and they were the ones that sold it at um, Hockey Unlimited. I could be wrong, but that's what he told me. Um, I think
14: that's right. I can't recall who the maker was though. Yeah.
3: Um, and he would carry uh, Glenn Miller pads and all all the good I, stuff. He had it there. and I. I loved going over there and just seeing it. And then I'd look in my hockey bag and see what I had in there and, you know, hang my head, but
6: <laughs> it is what
3: it is, uh, you know, but at the same time, I.
14: I, I remember my first true goalie mask. Like, uh, Cause I, I, you know, I wore the, the Cooper bucket uh, yep. for the first couple of years. Uh, and, uh, but I remember, I, I think I was going to start paying, uh, I think Peewee. And my, my parents had kind of agreed, okay, you're going to get a goalie, a true goalie mask. And we were in a very small retailer and there was a little business card, uh, on the, you know, the cash register and it was a mask and it looked like, uh, kind of a Brian Hayward shark design. And I was yeah. like, Oh, this is sick. And I was like, dad, I don't know who this is. You got to call them. And they didn't even carry the sword. It was just a business card. So my dad kind of begrudgingly was like, "All right, fine, I'll call him, talk
13: to this guy." <laughs>
14: so my my then my dad came back a couple days later and goes, "You know, I'm, I, I talked to that guy. He 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 seems to really know his stuff. And uh, you know, he asked him about some measurements for your head, and and you know, he's just kind of getting his business off the ground. And and, and so I'm going to go ahead and order one of these for you, uh, okay? And I was like, "That's awesome, great." It was Gary Warwick Senior.
8: Oh my he goodness,
14: just. Starting his business out of out of his home. Yeah. Uh, and it was very, very early on, Warwick mask, and I loved it. I got the Stefan say um uh Nordique's uh igloo design with the team logo yep. in the middle. And I sadly sold that mask. It's one of the very <sighs> few items I my sold uh i all right my parents did i assume uh later on and i just it, it kills me that i don't own that anymore because it's such a it's such a yeah you know it was such a that it was a special place in my heart and a, a little funny antidote about the paint job it was because again given our age you know the pros could get their masks painted by you know greg harrison would make the mask and paint it for them and there were a few mask painters out there not like there are today um I told my parents, I really want it painted. I think it's going to look so cool if it's painted. So they, it, it, at a mall, as we're getting ready to go to have dinner, uh, my stuff was in the car and they said, well, there's a, there's a t-shirt, um, uh, what do they call it? Air, air, yeah, uh, every, painter. Every,
3: every mall had that t-shirt airbrush guy o- over exactly. by the food court usually. And that's <laughs> where I had my first mask painted too.
14: No way! That's, that's exactly yeah. what we did. They dropped. They said, "Can you paint this?" The guy was like, yeah, "I think so." Yeah, and he said, "Give me an hour, hour and a half." My friend said, "Great, we'll go grab dinner." And uh, we came back. It was done. So I, I, that's so cool that you did the same thing because I never have heard of anyone else doing that.
15: What advice do you have for
3: young goalies as they're going into those pro shops looking at equipment? You know, what should they keep in mind? Uh, as
8: they look at this stuff,
14: yeah, and that right there is a big piece of I think why I started goalie gear nerd in the sense that, and where I saw the kind of the white white space and opportunity out there was to to try to give some more informed um, information out there about goalie gear, and this mm-hmm. is something that starting to be building out more on my website and we're going to get, I continue to kind of build it out yeah. uh, over the beginning of next Which, year. Th- it,
3: thanks for putting that out there and wasting several
14: days of my life looking through the old <laughs> catalogs. But, but, but to, to your question, <clears throat> again, that's what I tried to create with the like gear nerd is the problem is you can walk into a pro shop and a 16 year old working there is probably not a goalie. And if he, even if he or she is a goalie, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't know anything about the gear and, and, and things like that. So that that's the big challenge um that you try to overcome. The number number one thing I always try to tell people, <clears throat> especially kids, because I was like this, perhaps you weren't as impressionable as I was, but you know, really fight that urge. Brands will kill me for saying this, but fight that urge to say, My favorite goalie wears this brand, but yep. that's the brand I'm buying. It right. really is, I always say it's about aligning the gear with your personal playing style and preferences and it's putting those together and you have to kind of be self-aware enough to say, okay, well, given my style and my, uh, you know, and how I like to wear my gear, um, you have to identify which brand fits you. And, and, and and there is enough differentiation across the brands If you can do the research, um, to kind of understand, okay, I really, really like super stiff pads. Pads yep. that are going to hold their shape forever, that are super fast and sliding. Okay, well then you're definitely going some somewhere in the Bauer Supreme family. Yeah, uh, maybe you'll go. You'll maybe you'll go to a CCM Axis. Yeah. Uh or I tried those course. things okay, well.
3: on at the Let's Play Hockey Expo, and I felt like I had a two by four on my leg. And somebody asked me, really? he was like, what do you think? And I said, well, it's a. But then again, coming from the pads I have that are sure. pillows, and I said, hey. I said it's not the pad for me, but I know the goalies that would really like this pad. Like it's going to kick those rebounds out. It's going to stay stiff. As like I, I get it. I liked the the construction of it. I liked the the pad. It, I but like you said, it's not right for my style.
14: Yeah, no, it's interesting to say that. And, and and again, it is about it is about the style and purposes. Of the the other The other goalie that I play against uh, for my weekly pickup on Monday nights. He's, uh, oh gosh, he's probably 20 years older than I am, I think, uh, <laughs> approximately. And so his style is really different. When he butterflies. He doesn't really butterfly. When he goes down, I should say, it's he, onto the face of the pad. He's still yeah. really dropping to the knee block. Um, so I helped him when he was getting some custom leg pads, kind of figure out the specs that work for him and stuff like that. And they're dramatically different than mine. And so uh-huh. that was our big part of our conversation was kind of, figuring kind of that out what works with him and for him and what yep. he good. And he's like, I'm never going to have leather straps. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so he's going to throw a bunch of leather straps on there and that's fine. And I'm like, okay, just so you know, this is why they're going away and here's the research and, yep. and, uh, and, and things like that. But if that's not where he is and his game is, so you, you make him have a bunch of straps. Yep. So, um, it, again, it's uh different and, and yeah. So coming where you are, yeah, I would, I, like a CCM access set, it would be, n- yeah, no, if you had golf clubs that were <laughs> 20 years old and all of a sudden you go on and get like the lightest, like most technological yeah. advanced ones in the store, you're going to be like, I can't swing these. Well, yeah, no kidding.
3: What do you see being the biggest innovation in goalie equipment in the time, you know, since we were, say, in high school?
14: the thing I always go back to is the knee block on the addition Mm -hmm. of the knee block on the pads, because what was so interesting about it is, you know, it was a functional thing to uh, help goalies, you know, the impact on their knees and dropping and actually then uh, aiding in the rotation of the pads, which, you know, it's interesting because it was, and innovation helps solve a problem, but it ended up changing the position entirely. Like mm-hmm. uh, knee blocks allowed and shout out to Pete Smith when he was at Warrior, because he's really credited for being the war. I'm sorry. He was at Vaughn of Time. Now yeah. With Warrior. Um, uh, was really seen as the one who created the, uh, created the concept, but it was, you know, it, 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 it created all of these things where not only now are pads taking up, uh, more more space because the, the faces of them are completely rotating towards the shooter mm-hmm. um but then all of a sudden things like a butterfly slide and all these other things that are really critical parts of the game technically um are possible now because yep. of that construction and that knee block and and so i if you look at all the things that have happened and, and, and you know composite sticks are big and the innovations in math are huge and, and things like that but i think if you really said What's yeah. the one innovation that's changed everything the most in the, in the, since you and I have been playing? Yeah, that's definitely it. Yeah,
16: I, I guess I just, uh, I mean, every time we played, to me there was something about being in the net and stopping the, the puck or the ball. That, to me there was just this, this, uh, this, this, this great moment of coming up as the hero, as, as the kid, and I just love to be in that spot and, um, I can remember, uh, my, my earliest memory, I think going back to watching the pros was again at my friend's house. And I remember watching, um, it was an Islanders game that we had recorded that had been recorded and we were watching it. And it was Kelly Rudy with the Islanders. And I'll never forget, and this is going to sound funny, but I was like, I, I was born in the, the mid seventies. So I'm kind of an eighties kid, but I remember <laughs> the first time Kelly lifted up that Jofa bucket and he had that amazing flow with the bandana. Yes. I'm I'm telling you, man, I was sold. Like that did it for me. And uh, so I actually, anytime I played after that, I wore a bandana and I didn't have the great flow that Kelly had, but I definitely had the bandana. And, and again, you know, it was that whole persona, right? Like the equipment, the mask, and kelly with the hair and the bandana there was just like as a as a young kid like that was just the coolest thing there was yeah nothing cooler than that for me so it was pretty cool <laughs> and that was in december 20, uh, 2014 i thought yeah i'm gonna do a logo so i drew the the flying mask i wanted to draw something that i wouldn't have to change again because i believe when it comes to branding you've got to kind of stick with, yeah. with your brand and stick with <laughs> your look and don't confuse the audience, right? The Chicago Bulls, same logo for their entire existence. Right, right. So I, I drew that and um, spent a couple hundred bucks and had, you know, 30 shirts made and gave them to friends and goalies and, and buddies of mine. And and then it just sort of grew from there, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I ended up doing this sort of online order where someone could, you know, I had one shirt. I had a black shirt with a flying mask and they could put an order in and, and it was all very manual. And again, I thought nothing of it at the time. I was just selling it to anybody that wanted it. And it just of from there. I was doing drafting. And anyways, I lost my job that the company went under. It wasn't a good time for the high-tech industry here in Ottawa. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I was out of work. And you know, every night in the, in the room there, the, the spare room, my wife and I were newly married too. We'd only been married a couple of years. and you know, I was raised pretty old school. Like, get food on the table, man. You got to get up there, get working. So, same here. You too, eh? And you know, so I had a few jobs, sort of on the go, and but my wife, you know, she said, "Matt, you're, 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 you know, you got to get back drawn again. You got to get mm-hmm. back to what you loved, creating." And so, I really needed that boost. And you shared earlier about your wife getting you to do the podcast. We need them, don't we? We need our wives, yeah. man. They're they, awesome they know what's best for us. <laughs> yeah, so good, so good, so much wisdom. And she uh, she really encouraged me, and so I'd I'd spend night after night on uh, you know different job sites, and until one night I see this one that's a goalie developer at iTech. Well, I fell off my chair and I'm because re- I'm <laughs> reading the job description. I'm like, holy smokes! Can you imagine like having that as a job? And and so, um, anyways, I applied, um, and my point portfolio. Was, I have to look for it, and if I find it, I'll post the pictures. I actually drew some pads and drew my own graphics and as part of my portfolio and anyway, got the interview, I get into the building and there was a crazy, crazy snowstorm leading up to that interview. In fact, uh, the guy, that, the, the the hiring manager called me that morning from Quebec. So this is about an hour and a half down the road and mm-hmm. said, Matt, don't come in for the interview. You know, we've got this crazy storm, you know, look out your window. Don't come. It's not worth it. I said, I will be there. I said, you know, I, I'm not going to miss this opportunity. So, <laughs> My wife and I got in her little Honda Civic and the snow was so deep and not even plowed that morning. I think it was like hitting the bumper, you know, on the way there. <laughs> Anyways, I'm in my suit and my boots and we, we get there. A couple of cars are in the ditch on the way there. Like it was just this crazy drive, but I was not going to miss this opportunity. Yep. And um, I get in there, change my, into my dress shoes in the car, get in there and there's no one in the building. <laughs> he's, he's he, he the he's there the hiring manager and some people from HR but that was it everyone else I think it was a snow day nobody's there yeah and um I get into the pro shop where they got like the prodigies hanging on the wall the x-wings and all their masks right I tech that was their thing right all their masks and I am just like I'm like at Disney World and I'm yep. dying so I sit down and have the interview the interview goes really well and um Anyways, I drive home. My wife's like, well, how'd it go? I said, well, I put my, put my best foot forward and, and, uh, you know, it's up to God now and and we're going to leave it in his hands. And, and so, um, it was a couple of days later, I was back working at the time there and my phone rings. Uh, actually I was, I had a flip phone (laughs) and I'm sitting in the car and the phone rings and I, I I called my wife back. I said, you're not going to believe this. I got it. So we pack our bags, we move to Quebec and, um, and, uh, just, I can remember my first day, they bring me into my new office. That's me. And there's another guy, there's two guys in it. It's a, it's, it's, it's the goalie room. That's what we call yeah. it. The goalie room. And there's pads everywhere and masks everywhere. And they show me my desk and I just, again, it's like pinched me, right? It was like a dream. And, um, anyway, so I was there for, uh, I guess it was two and a half years. And then, uh, Nike Bauer came along and, and acquired, acquired them. And that was, that was a hard day. I mean, I was excited and privileged, you know, fortunate right. to be one of only a small handful of guys that went on uh, to work at Bauer. But, um, but it was, it was a sad day because iTech was a real good brand and, and yeah, it grow, was, you know, g- growing up as a kid, I don't know what it was like in Minnesota, but when I was young in, in, in you know, grade school, high school, like iTech was a family company. It just had that a great reputation. Mm-hmm. And so it was a sad day, but, Anyways, I was told, listen, Bauer's going to be good for you. Bauer's got some great, uh um, got a great R&D facility up there in St. Jerome. And so I went up there and uh I, I got really into the masks actually, and less on the, the protective. So I tech, I did everything. There was a lot of, you know, chest, pant, we, you know, uh, mask, uh, pads, block, catch, we kind of did a bit of everything. Cause it was a small company. It was mm-hmm. Ma and Pa. It was very small. So you wore lots of hats and, um and then, uh, I te- uh, Bauer was was more uh, uh, very R and D focused, which was really cool. So I got working in uh, uh, in R and D specific on the masks. So that's when the uh, I always want to say the enemy seven, but it was the nv seven uh, was was their mask that came out. And um, um, anyway, and that, I, I believe that was a transition. And it started at Itec and went to, to Bauer, but it was the, the mask. And and so I started working there and. As
0: I said I started skating as a real young boy but I didn't play organized hockey till I was 12. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wanted to join an organized team when I was 11 years old be- simply because, Joe, I just wanted to be around my friends more often. It wasn't because I had this uh, goal of playing in the National Hockey League or anything. And uh, so I told my parents when I was 11 that I'd like to play and they gave me the best advice. They said, "No, you have to learn <laughs> how to skate for a year." And so yep. growing up in Edmonton, very much like uh, Minneapolis, it's, uh, especially back then. It was quite cold, and so there were a lot of backyard rinks and there were community rinks, and that's where I started skating for a year. And then in the summer leading up to that uh, year when I, was gonna, when I was 12, in, the, in September when I was going to go try and play organized hockey, that summer my buddy and I were playing ball hockey in his backyard, And uh, his dad kind of overheard a conversation that Jeff and I were having. And his dad, Mr. Marshall, said, you know, Kelly, I don't want to influence you too much, but whenever all the kids are over playing ball hockey and you're in the net, you stop the ball more than anybody else. (laughs) And so that sort of, you know, turned on the light bulb a little bit. I thought, hmm, maybe I'll give it a whirl. And then when I went out for my first practice and fell in love with the position, uh, that was pretty simple for me. And then at that point, it was a full on, uh, hobby to know more and more about it. So, uh, the great Jacques Plant Uh, early on or late in his career but uh, early in my development he wrote a book and it was simply called Mm goaltending and so I devoured that thing almost daily and certainly nightly laying in bed and, and reading about skating techniques and how to hold your hands and all these different aspects about playing goal and so that was really the start of it actually my first ever exhibition game in the NHL it was 1980 in the Chicago Stadium and uh, playing at the other end was Tony Esposito so I was blown away yeah the next year we played Chicago in Indianapolis that's our league team that's where I was going to start the year and I played two years there and Murray Bannerman was the goalie at the other end for Chicago so I played against both Tony and Murray in two consecutive uh, training counts which was just a memorable experience for sure Yeah. And that's, that is one thing that uh, does bother me to this day. Like it's not something that I worry about, but it it does bother me the protection that the, the current goalies have because I'm all for protecting the goalies. I know the position. I know how hard it, they shoot the puck. I know how it hurts. Uh, we don't want to injure our best player in the ice and that's the goalie most important player, but Look at some – you look at the bodies of these guys when they're out of their equipment, Mm -hmm. and most of them are skinny, tall guys. You get them in the net with their gear, and they're enormous, and they leave very little room to shoot at. And I think if I had my opinion, I'd ask the league to do even more in that department and take away – I don't want to take away the protection. I just want to take away the bulk. Because it's it's changing the game. And it's just – you know, we all cheat in our own way, but that's so blatant. Now, there, there are a lot of things about the current goalie that I love, and I am envious about the way they play. Like, yeah. it looks pretty cool when you – you know, <laughs> they play the butterfly and, you know, they have their own sort of athleticism. I don't want to take away from that. But uh, I just think that the equipment is is so good that it would be even more fun to watch these guys if they didn't have the advantage of the bulk.
3: Yep. You know, it was funny, the uh, first snow we got this year, I was out there with the snowblower, and I was thinking about that, wondering, you know, what if we had guys like yourself, uh, Patrick Watt, Eddie Belfort, Grant Fear playing in today's equipment? How different, um, how dominating would they be, or would they be as dominating?
0: I don't know. I I, (laughs) I, I, I think that equipment aside, uh, there's one skill you need, and it doesn't matter if you're – George Vesna or Jacques Plant, or Patrick Waugh or Dominic Hoshik or whoever you think the best goalie is right now, uh, maybe a few years ago as Lundqvist, there is one quality you have to have, and that is that is you have to read a play. Yep. And if you can't read a play, you can't play. I don't care how talented uh, you can be, how good you can look in practice, uh, the equipment, all that kind of stuff. You have to really understand the game. Uh, to get the best out of yourself because every goaltender will tell you, and there are a lot of other things too. Like you have to figure out uh, the deception a guy's going to have on his release on the Mm -hmm. shot, and and that's so critical. But you have to understand, for instance, when I played against Wayne Gretzky, I knew that I had to be aware of all four guys on the ice with him because he wasn't the only dangerous guy. He made everybody dangerous, whereas Mario Lemieux – I thought Mario may have been a tiny bit more talented individually, but Mario probably wasn't going to make all four guys on the ice with him dangerous, maybe three. And that's a yeah. big difference. You know, that's one option that you really don't usually have to consider. Yep. And uh, no way, shape, or form is that a slight towards Mario because he was incredible. But, yeah. for instance, a guy like Pavel Bure. When Pavel had the puck, you focus on Pavel because yeah. there's not a lot of passing, you know. Whereas a guy like Ovechkin, for instance, he's a great shooter, but he's incorporated that playmaking ability. And, and so there's so many different factors when you look into how to play the position and uh, when you're evaluating the skill set of a guy. You
3: had the game with, what was it, 73 saves on the, the Easter Epic, the uh, yeah. seven overtime game. How did you stay focused for – what was that? Ten periods of hockey. Uh, seven periods
0: seven, of seven, peri- yeah, seven
3: periods. Yeah, seven periods because it was four over. Um,
0: that's a great question. First of all, by the way, if you're a goalie fan out there and you haven't watched the highlights <laughs> of Ron Tugnut in that game, you're doing yourself a disservice because that yep. was phenomenal. And that was in regulation and in overtime. That was one yep. game. So my game was seven periods. Uh, but Tugnut, I believe, makes – One of the greatest saves in the game's history with about five seconds to go or something off, Ray Bork. Uh, Yeah. Just phenomenal. And he
3: said it was luck.
0: (laughs) Oh, did he? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, you know, luck, you have to have a little bit of luck, and I I can accept that answer. I didn't think so, but I'll go with that if that's what he says. But, you know, that was one of the greatest challenges we had, Joe, because the game started at 7.30 in the morning, or in the evening, of course, and uh, ended at... Four minutes to two in the morning, so there's a long time to try and stay focused, which is mm-hmm. awfully difficult. But what I found, and what I discovered that night, and I've used this ever since. Going into an overtime, the first two minutes are the most dangerous, and the last two. And I I liken it to uh, you've gone into the dressing room, you sort of let your guard down. You walk out onto the ice for the overtime, and you're not quite as focused as you need to be in the first two minutes. Mm -hmm. And the last two minutes is because the same thing, you're sort of letting your guard down, thinking about getting some rest in the intermission. Now, it's been statistically proven that I'm wrong by a minute (laughs) on either side. So it happens to be, so for all the analytics out there, uh, it's the first three minutes and last three minutes that are the most dangerous and it's been proven by the stats. Pat LaFontaine scored in quadruple overtime. Uh, I was at the other end, of course, and I'm watching Andy Van Hellman, the referee, point to the goal. I saw my teammates raise their hands in the air. I saw the shoulders slump for the Washington Capitals, but I stood still and I was in disbelief. I didn't want to get too excited in case for some reason the goal is going to be uh, called back or I didn't know. So I stood there. I bet for two full seconds until I allowed myself the joy of uh, holy cow, we've actually won this game. So I remember after the celebration, after the handshake, after some media requests, I started taking my gear off. I'm going to say ballpark about 10 minutes after two or quarter after two. And literally I was so dehydrated that... When I started to take my skates off, my toes just immediately curled under. That's how uh, dehydrated I was. So you know what I did, Joe? No. I, downed, I downed two quick beers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a different time, right? Like, yeah, it,
3: it's a different time, but there's something to be said about that post-game beer. It it's oh my gosh. just goes down so easy. It's, it's like well, a don't... beer after mowing the lawn. It's just the yeah, perfect time I mean, for yeah. it.
0: <laughs> Going back to the hydration, though, you know, I'm so old that uh, when I played, of course, junior, and the first number of years in the NHL, I think about five years in the NHL ballpark, we weren't even allowed water bottles on our net. Oh, so really? can you imagine, like, w- w- why can't everybody else has a chance to get a, a drink on the bench and uh, stay hydrated net? They didn't allow us goalies a chance. So and you, the only
3: you weren't getting those commercial breaks either to yeah. hydrate.
0: So it was nuts. I mean – I don't know. I think the league just got lucky back then that some goaltender didn't run into some serious medical issue because he wasn't hydrated.
3: So I, I want to address an elephant in the room from your time in L.A. in practice. Um, Every day you got to skate with the legend of Marty McSorley's (laughs) illegally curved stick. Uh, (laughs) Was he using that often in practice? Uh, You know, and what was it like when he would just rip it by with that thing?
0: All right. Well, I don't think there's any secret back then. And I still think to this day, uh, there are a lot of illegal sticks being used. And back then it was common for Marty uh most of our guys all used the illegal sticks, but at a certain point in a game, you would switch to a legal stick. And I had that as well. I <clears throat> I always used an illegal stick for, for most part two full periods, and then for the third period, I go to a legal stick. Um uh and uh I would have that same game, game two in Montreal, I would have used an illegal stick for the first two periods. And uh, most or all of our guys, I believe, went to a legal stick in the third. And for whatever reason, Marty didn't. I'm not sure. Uh, I know know this. Marty was an incredibly important player for us. Like, he was an unbelievable player. People don't give Marty the credit for what kind of player he was. Like, when he came into the league, he was just a tough guy. And through sheer hard work and determination, he turned himself into a good player. Yep. Um, So, you know, Again, I've never asked Marty why he didn't go to a legal stick, but, you know, I don't think we lost the series because of that play, but we, I think we lost the game because of that. I was drafted in 80 the first year they won the Cup, and uh, the first year I made them out of the minors was 1983. So they had just finished their fourth consecutive Stanley Cup. And so now I'm going into addressing well, I was the only rookie out of training camp that year to make the team. We added uh, Pat LaFontaine and Pat Flatley after the Olympics that year. We added Gord Dineen, Paul Boudelier, a couple other rookies in the, uh, as the season went on. But, so I was able to, like, that's like getting a Ph.D. in how to handle the psychology of the game, right? I'm watching Dennis Potvin and Brian Troche and Mike Bossey and Billy Smith and Clark Gillies. All those guys now in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Then you had Bob Bourne, Bob Nystrom. Uh, The list is endless, right? Mm -hmm. All the incredible hockey players that uh, I could ask any question of and and just learn from. And they were intense in practice. Like, practices were phenomenal. Um, And then when I was traded to L.A., and now I'm playing on a team with Gretzky, and then we had Yari Curry, Paul Coffey, uh, Luke Robitaille was there. Uh, Tony Granado, Rob Blake, Larry Robinson, just incredible. And, and so you really understand the human mind and how that works and how everybody might prepare a little bit differently. And some guys are uh, harder on themselves after a bad performance. Some guys are pretty good at parking it and not letting it uh, bother them. So the experiences I had, and you're right, its the games are one thing, they're great but you really have to appreciate the practices and what what you're witnessing firsthand. And I finally went to that more uh, common mask. I went to uh, Don Strauss and his armadillo mask. And uh, and I, I found it great because the technology was where I needed it to be. It was extremely safe. And yet it uh, suited my uh, feel for how heavy it was because I thought it was really, really light. So I was one of the last ones to get on board, but I think I waited for the right reason. And then when we went to the Don Strauss design, Armillo, I have to tell you, we were trying to come up with something really cool. And I always loved Mike Richter's uh, mask with the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, And that was my favorite because it's so simple. Whenever you go to New York City, what's the first landmark you think of?
13: Statue Statue of Liberty. Liberty.
0: And so his mask is just so striking. I thought, man, I've got to come up with something like that. And we got the idea pretty quickly. But we're like, well, holy, when you come to L.A., you you want to see the Hollywood sign, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what we put on that first mask that I had from Don. And I thought it became iconic. I think it, it was so easy to understand. I was I was absolutely thrilled and honored this past hockey season in a throwback retro game that Jonathan Quick uh, emulated that. He had a, a Hollywood mask made up. It was very cool. Uh, I, I just think that sometimes, this is just my feeling, other people could be see it way differently. But the current masks are impossible for me to understand what's painted on. They're yeah. like it's beautiful when you see it up close and you see the artwork and how you know how difficult it would be to come up with all that. I, I'm like blown away. But for the most time, I, I leave a morning skate after looking at the goalie's mask and I'm like, I say to my broadcast partner Rick Paul, "What's what's on that mask? I don't even <laughs> understand it." I, and I can't imagine the fans in the building going. Oh yeah, that makes sense to me. I think sometimes simple is better, but then again, I'm old. When I finally decided I was going to go to the the newer style mask, I looked at a few different versions, and uh, Dawn struck me because it's a little bit different. Yep. Uh, I had it uh, explained to me by one of my friends that you know when you first see a Porsche, it looks different, right? You know, yeah. It does- look like a, a regular car. And that's kind of what looking at one of Dawn's mask design looks like. It looks different than what everybody had on the market at that time. And I, yeah. I kind of liked that. And then once I had the product in my hand, that's when I really decided. I, I started using it in the summer uh, when I was getting ready for training camp. And I thought I really liked it. I really liked, as I said, the quality of it, how I knew that it would offer the protection that I needed. And then when when Don and I and I had this friend, Lenny Davis in L.A., helping me, actually putting all of us together, connection and thinking of the artwork, that's when I think Don really stood out because of his ability to think about art and how you can put it onto a mask. And, in fact, Don was more than instrumental in also taking that same idea and putting it on all my equipment, so you might remember my pads had artwork, my gloves had artwork, I, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think anybody had done that back then, no. we, had, we had colored pads, but nobody had artwork on their pads, and I think, I believe I might have been the first. Yeah, it was in combination with my long hair, I'd always had long hair as a kid, and uh, in my last year in junior, I started wearing contacts. And so anybody out there back then, especially in the 70s and 80s, if you wore contacts, sweat really bothered your eyes. Like technology has really improved so much mm-hmm. so with contacts. it still bothersome, but it doesn't bother you like it used to. And so I was frustrated. I was going through all, all sorts of different sort of headbands, trying to find something that was absorbent enough that uh, the sweat didn't bother my eyes and so one day in uh, practice on Long Island I just thought hey you know what I'm just going to try this I'm going to rip up the blue t-shirts the pajama tops that we wore under our equipment and I'm going to just tie it around my head and see how this works and lo and behold (laughs) it was the best thing I'd ever uh, used and so at that point I certainly had no idea that I was going to become kind of like my trademark right I just thought oh this is great it's going to keep the sweat out of my eyes a little bit better than any other headband that I tried and next thing you know I'm playing with it a little more it started (laughs) off just as a little strip like this and hung out only about a couple inches behind my mask and I started getting braver and I get the headband way across my forehead and hang down about five or seven inches something like that and it I have to admit, I thought it looked pretty cool for a while. And then uh, when I moved to San Jose, I remember talking with my family because now I was getting sick of it. I was getting, I don't know, bored with it. And they said, no, no, Dad, you have to wear it. It's kind of <laughs> like a trademark. And so the final two years of my career, I still wore the blue bandana, but I didn't like it.
15: the styles developed, I think, in part due to self-defense. And once the equipment, and I've had this conversation with tons of guys, Sean Burke was really good on the, you know, the fear factor, remembering specifically when the fear factor uh, disappeared from goaltending. And once that was gone, you know, the ability to use that equipment and understand that moving your torso into a path versus reaching for it um, Mm. was so much better, just started to develop. And now to the point where we understand the biomechanics of, if I move my head a certain way, I'm going to actually close holes and rotate into pucks. If I move it another way, like the old school sort of windmill, not only am I – open, you know, like I pull everything away, I can't maintain vision, and I open up the net. Like, you know, I remember having that conversation with Kelly Rudy was on recently, but having that back in the day when, you know, glove up started to happen because the whole path of the puck that he grew up in was sort of, you know, that, that old school windmill path and having this conversation about how, but look, look like the path of the puck and the path of your glove, like they have to intersect at a perfect point. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you sort of hold it like this, look at how much more coverage and area you're, and it was just completely different philosophies from what I learned in my mid thirties to what, to what guys my age grew up playing. So it's kind of interesting to have that juxtaposition. So all of a sudden I had, PR staff that would tell me, ah, the goalie doesn't really speak the language. My favorite was Bob. Ah, he doesn't really speak. He Russian doesn't really speak, but you can try. Next thing I know, me and Bobrovsky are, this is when he was with the Flyers, were quite literally on the carpet, on the floor, in the locker room, speaking <laughs> the language of goaltending. Yeah. And he's talking to me about, actually it would have been early in his Columbus days because Clark was the coast and he was talking to me about the body mechanics adjustments he'd made in terms of stance and hands. And we're in the locker room and there are words that just aren't quite there for him. And we're literally hashing it out between us with demonstrations. And, cause, you know, he used to play, like you watch him yeah. in Philly, like, you know, he's like hunched over. His, his, his elbows were by his ears. And so we're the, the PR guys are like, oh, my God. Like, so it just opened up this world to me in terms of getting to know the goalies, having conversations with them in terms that they understood and wanted to talk about. Um, and then through that, I developed the passion of like, I got to do this. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, Ryan Miller probably said it best. Yeah. When, when he left Vancouver, I sent him a text, just sort of thanking him for all his time and no, and apologizing for being such a pain in the ass. Cause you can imagine, <laughs> imagine having to deal with me as the home goalie, like all the time asking these questions, always asking him stuff and always wanting to sort of understand things better. And he's such a thinker. And he said, well, no, like he said, don't apologize for it. At least you wanted to understand rather than just judge. And I I think he genuinely appreciated that gave me a new appreciation for, for what my goal is just to try and understand what they're trying to do better.
3: And um, one of my teammates was Dave Rogalski and another was a fellow by the name of Ryan S who runs a uh, goalie school here in the twin cities. And, you better bet we were always watching each other. If we weren't in the net during a rotation in practice, we were watching each other and talking after practice or in practice. And it wasn't just those two we did it with. It was all the other goalies in the program that that was just the way we, we did things. Uh, now, did we yeah. ever think Rogie would be the one with a Stanley cup ring? Probably not, <laughs> but here he is. And now he's in Jersey, which is amazing for him.
15: Yeah, no, um, Congrats to him on the gig in Jersey. Uh, not surprised uh, that it didn't yeah. take him long to go from the AHL to the NHL. There were a few teams. Uh, I pat myself on the back on that one because there were a few teams that uh, were looking for coaches for their American League franchises before he got that job in St. Louis. And the year before, I gave his name to a couple of people, and they didn't follow up. And I told them they'd regret it. And so <laughs> uh, he's proved he's proved me right again. He's always got good advice when, 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 when he's when he's got the time to, to have a conversation. Uh, quit university, uh, like I said, three and a half years in, had taken a lot of English courses. There's a little, little, little one that's foreshadowing, uh, as my, as, as sort of minor and elective courses while I was there, I enjoyed English. I enjoyed literature and stuff like that. Quit school, went to work at a paper mill, uh, that had been my summer job for a while and they paid really well. Um, you know, like one of those time and a half, 12 hour shifts, make enough money to pay for university without any debts when I was in school. Um, live a pretty good life as a, you know, in my early twenties off that there for about a year when the guys started telling me that I was going to be a lifer. And if the one thing I learned about the guys that had worked there a long time, is they all retired early, but then died within two years. And I'm not exaggerating. It was consistent. Like there's paper particles. Like it's just not a, right. Like I was enjoying it, but so quit school. Then I quit that job. And then I drove to every major league baseball park in the United States over the course of the summer. I told you I was a baseball guy. Yeah. I lived, I lived in, I mean, the odd hotel room, but mostly, and this was a different era. It was the year after the lockout, 94, 95, the year the Exmo should have won the world yep. series. What a bunch of crap that is. Um, and, uh, so I drove to every major league ballpark. I lived in my car. I had a, like I said, I would stay in hotels to shower and stuff. Like I'd say probably every fourth day. Um, but mostly lived in my car, uh, met up with buddies who'd played ball that were playing college ball down there, like on the road kind of thing.
13: Mm-hmm.
15: Um, truck stops and things like that was where I slept. And again, in the mid nineties, it was not as dangerous as it would be now. Yeah. I don't think you'd try that, you no. know, now at all, but I went to every, I didn't go to Florida cause they were carjacking. Tourists at the time back there, but outside of Florida, I went to every major league ballpark. I watched the Red Sox clinch the pennant from eight rows behind, um, home plate because I was by myself. I had a buddy that was going to come and he bailed last minute. So I went by myself. <laughs> Started with the field of dreams. I was just looking around my office because I've got a bunch of, uh, baseballs. Like here, I got to grab them up. I got I to <laughs> show and tell because we're on video. Yeah. So as like, I got like, as the, you know, your, your typical Canadian, um, you know, so we got like we got here. Okay, so that's Billy Williams, Chicago Cubs. Yeah, I'm that's a huge him. Cub
3: fan, so
13: I like okay, that one. So
15: this one uh was Gary Carter. Um obviously just as an Expos fan as I talked about, like uh love yeah. Gary Carter. And this one, this one I brought I get this one up because this is how I ended up going from sure. This is how a sort of fantasy road trip after quitting school and then quitting my job led me to journalism. And you will recognize this as a Cubs guy. This is Ferguson Jenkins.
3: Yep.
15: Okay. So I'm a Canadian. Good and Canadian he was pitcher. The pitching coach of the Chicago Cubs at the time. Yep my time in chicago on this trip i started at the field of dreams i went to iowa and started like That was my first stop like how cliched could i be i actually went to the field of dreams as my first stop on my road trip um chicago was one of the early stops went up to milwaukee from there and then and then chicago was one of the early stops. well in chicago i spent one night at a frat house through some for like slept at a frat house Spent one night on the right field, like in, in, sorry, in the, uh, down the first baseline and watched a game. Spent yeah. one Sunday afternoon, I never forget. Cause just with, with the, the bleacher out in the bleachers, is it bleacher creatures? What, I, yeah. the
13: Bleacher bumps. Now.
15: Bleacher bumps and, uh, like shirts off. That's how I ended up at the frat house uh, crashing that night. But guys were just like, get, just giving it to Barry bonds the whole time. Like it was the best. Anyway, the
3: Wrigley bleachers, they're people that have never been don't understand how brutal they would be. Now legend has it the basket at Wrigley wasn't to catch foul balls or anything it was they were giving it to Pete Rose one day and he tried climbing up the wall. So then they realized they needed something to separate the fans and the players.
15: I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Like, that makes sense because I I, I was not prepared for this. Like, I, yeah. you, you have certain expectations. But, like, these two guys that I met, were they were on bonds and all. Like, relentless and over the line at times. And just, yeah. like, whoa. Anyways, one of the – well, there, um, prior to a game, I met a gentleman. And I, I really wish that I had, re- like, kept his name or, like, kept track of it or – we got to talking before a game and he basically covered the cubs for a living and that's when the light went off like i had already had the experiences i'd already had so this was actually after a night game it was a Mm -hmm. monday night game because the bears were playing the packers at lambeau that night and i waited outside the the, i guess it would be the right field there's a parking lot exit where they come out. That of, That's left like, that field Turk.
3: across from the uh, fire station.
15: Yeah, the fire station. For some reason in my brain, it's right field. But anyways, yep. you're, yeah. So across from the fire station and Turk Wendell at the time used to come out and ride his bike yes. home, right? Like there's a bar, Kitty Corner. Anyways, Ferguson Jenkins comes out and instead of just signing my ball, we end up going for a beer so he can catch like. Oh, wow. At, at the corner, this bar on the corner, like Kitty. So if the fire station just go, keep going past the Kitty yep. corner from the stadium. I don't even remember the name of it. I wasn't it's, recording these details. At the yeah,
3: address, that, but, that's the one right out in center field. That Oh, God, there's a couple of them in the area. I know what one you're talking about.
15: So they were all talented. Like he goes in, there's obviously a regular. They all know him. Um, they're talking about how he missed a great football game and all these things. And was we sit down and talk for just a little while. And then after that, the day later, I met the guy who covered the Cubs for a living, I think for the Tribune Mm
13: -hmm. and
15: it just this light bulb here, I am on this adventure. I just met Ferguson Jenkins and I'm like, you get to write about baseball for a living. I actually applied to the journalism school. I graduated from as a minor because I already had all these credits, right? So I didn't want to start from scratch. I ended up transferring to UVic, but the application to get into the university of Victoria, which had the journalism program was made from Chicago. I actually applied for journalism school while I was still in Chicago from the frat house I was staying at after meeting Ferguson Jenkins and this gentleman who wrote for the Tribune about the Chicago Cubs. And it was just like, I'm actually apologizing for taking up too much of your time, and I'm the guest. I'm really <laughs> bad at it. No, really at- okay, so crazy coach moment for me. Um, I know we the a goaltending podcast, so it should be a goalie coach, but truthfully, the craziest coach moment I've ever seen was torts going down uh, the <laughs> tunnel because I was covering that game um, towards the Calgary Flames bench. The crazy part of that moment was evidently, It was a question I had asked him in the morning, and I am not a controversial reporter or a guy who likes – like, I'm not trying to – let. like, it was actually a softball question. It was teed up for him to tee off on in defense of Henrik Sadeem playing through an injury in his Ironman streak. Like, I actually set him up to dispel some of the stupidity in the Mm -hmm. marketplace about Henrik costing the team by trying to maintain his Ironman streak rather than just, you know, resting and and getting back to his level. So I threw this softball up in the morning skate – And he absolutely blasted me for it. And in in doing so, actually gave the answer I think we were all looking for, right? Defended the hell out of Henderson. He absolutely put me on blast for it. By the time that game started, we'd forgotten all about it. Next thing you know, there's a brawl on the opening drop. And Bob Hartley obviously played a big role in that. Torx is going down the tunnel and getting suspended from the NHL for trying to do so. What a lot of people don't remember or, or recognize the link between the two is the, when he did his post game press conference, we're all expecting him to come and talk about Hartley. His first response was actually about how he was still so upset about the morning, the question he was asked during the morning skate and how uh, that had set him off for the entire day and he was still pissed about it.
5: So he just
15: tried to go down the other bench. And of course, Clint Milarchuk was out there ready to come out yeah. and, and, and scrap too. and we had him on the pod and he remembered that. Um and he's still like the first response in the postgame was about this question I had asked that was meant to be this innocuous, you know, set you up to to tee off on the stupidity question. Yeah. And it may have actually pissed him off to the point where, where he 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 went off. And we talked about it later actually, just a little chat, actually around the Heritage Classic time. And um yeah, he uh he was that was, he he blames that question for his mindset that led to that madness.
3: When your nephew was on talking about, um, you know, how he wants to be, you know, a goalie as he grows up, uh, he got a little cocky. Uh, he said he, he wants to be like you, but better yeah <laughs> i i'm hoping the next time you are on the ice with them you lit them up or you know buzz one by the tower or
8: something it's actually funny that was unprovoked and <laughs> i was i was talking to the other one about hey this is what we're gonna you know trying to like prepare the other one and so i just look over and uh my cameraman dave is just like red face cracking up and i'm like wait what do you say he's like, you'll see. And so I didn't see that live. I saw that later on, and I was like, oh, is that right? But he was so camera shy, which is not even his personality at all. So yeah. to see him all, like, shy like that and just kind of saying what he said, I thought it was hysterical. But, um, no, he's actually – he's he's pretty good. He just needs to figure out, like, the whole – putting it together focus wise and, yeah. and he can slowly is, I mean, he's only nine or he's 10 now, but yeah, that, that part's coming together. And, um, you know, once he really figures that out and really dials in, like the kids, you know, I wouldn't say this to him and kids his age don't listen to podcasts. So I think we're okay, but <laughs> yeah, he's pretty good. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been fun to be on the ice with him, but yeah, when he does get overconfident. Um, I don't know where he gets that from. <laughs> I, I, I gotta take him down a peg or two and, you know, yeah. Yeah. Score a few goals. Perfect. Oh I loved it. I loved it. Like yeah. someone's asked, like, oh man, did that burn? I'm like, no. I go, he he should want to make it to the NHL. Like yeah. you know, I don't want my nephew aspiring to be in the DHL. Like
3: yeah. I, I just I want to be like him, but better. Uh yeah. it, it, the, the delivery was just so perfect. perfect. Uh you know, it was dead serious. In your movie, you talk about Center Ice Brewing, and, and I have to ask, because I'm a craft beer aficionado, um, how good is their beer? Because I keep seeing it, and from a, a hockey fan standpoint, I'm like, I need to have their beer, but they don't sell it here in Minnesota. So i got to know, how good is it?
8: It's delicious. If you're in St. <laughs> Louis, you, you it's a must for a hockey guy like you. It's an absolute yeah. must. Steve is, uh, he's one of the hardest working, most passionate people I've ever met. And, uh, you taste it in the beer and just the atmosphere of, of, yeah. it, of this place. It, it's pretty cool. It, it just, it really sucks now because of COVID everything shut yeah. down. So he's still selling beer at Center Edge Brewery. They do their, um,
3: third growlers their, and stuff. Yeah.
8: Growlers and all that good stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, um, all, all that, but yeah, you can't go in and watch a game anymore, but, yeah. Uh, and not Americans on but they do reruns and things like that but yeah it's it's delicious I personally like the arena lager um personally that's my favorite but um I like more of a lager more of a golden ale kind of kind of guy but you know
3: that's a great post-game beer style too yeah
8: yeah and that's usually it's usually post-game is when I'm you know having that so um, the first time we met with Steve, he had us just before that, like a year before it opened. And at, at that point, he had just had a successful Kickstarter campaign and it was still just a big idea and everything was just empty, dirty, he just bought the building. And he had samples and I had a sample of all of his beers and I had to take an Uber home. I was like, <laughs> this is so strong, dude. Like yes. I can't, I can't drive home. And I only had like four of them. So I was like, well, I'll have a couple more and then just Uber it home. But it's, it's strong. Um, but, yeah, it was delicious, though. I loved it. The, uh, I had a coach. I'm not going name to name his name, but he played in the NHL, and his brother was an NHL coach for a very long time. He chucked a full Gatorade bottle at my head during intermissions. Just, <laughs> just smoked me. Like, I wasn't even looking. And it obviously hurt, and uh, I was having a bad – I wasn't having a good game. And he goes, well, you can stop that. And I was just like <laughs> – and I'm looking around, like, I, and I just joined this team, like, you know, a month later, and I didn't really have any yeah. close friends. So I, that was super foreign to me. And I'm just looking around, like, I, I didn't know what to do. I was so embarrassed and in pain because I just got smoked in the face of a full Gatorade bottle. <laughs> um it did not help me play any better I can tell you that no. much <laughs> it didn't <laughs> play any better he I'm pretty sure he yanked me after the next goal um but I reset the next game but yeah it was uh that was probably one of my worst moments with the coach and I'm pretty sure I said a couple things afterwards uh, that i not like to repeat but...
17: yeah I mean my coach it's funny because I'm pretty strict on like, especially, mm-hmm. you know, schoolwork and hockey. Um, I'm pretty big on, you know, not messing around, especially in between games. Like we have a game the next day. There's no reason we should be out partying, even if right. we get a win, like we got another game to play. Um, and that's definitely my sophomore year, especially we had kind of some trouble with that here at UNCW. Um, there was one night, I think it was, there was a big fight on too, of course. And um we it didn't help that so you know we have kind of a hurricane problem here in coastal yep. north carolina it's so my sophomore aware. year i for sure so sophomore year you will probably have florence come through yep that was the one so um, my sophomore year we started the season like got our first two games in and then after our saturday game you know we came back um home because we were on the road that day we came back home the next day and that sunday is when you know the talk about Florence kind. Of started and next thing a couple hours later you know by uh later that afternoon they're telling us okay by noon on monday there's a voluntary evacuation so we're like okay well we have to cancel our games for this coming weekend so we thought you know maybe just a week or two we'll be off the ice well then with the way florence came in and hit wilmington really just kind of destroyed the area yep. the ice for about a month or so i had left my gear in Wilmington, think, you know, we'll be back next week, like, yeah. no problem. So, you know, I had to evacuate. And then for the longest time, you couldn't even get back into Wilmington. No. So by that time, you know, I hadn't gone up home and different things like that. Initially, I just went to stay with a friend, but then ended up going back, back home to New York and things like that. I was off the ice for an entire month. And then uh, when we got to, you know, we finally got like, okay, they're letting us back to school. Well, we had a tournament they were supposed to play that weekend. And it was a league tournament. So like those games counted as lean games. And the league was telling us, look, like if you don't show up, you forfeit these games. That's it. We're not really helping you out. Yeah. Um, and so we're like, well, we're in this thing. So we, like, it was a mess. Like we're not, half of us weren't even at school yet or in Wilmington. And people are trying to get their bags and stuff and like get to this tournament in Raleigh. Um and we managed to get there. I had to like pull strings and have the um director of housing who some luckily enough was a hockey fan, so he was (laughs) willing to help us out, but he wasn't allowed housing yet. So he went into my room and grabbed like a couple things that I had in my room because usually I keep like my helmet and my skates in the room just because of the humidity down here. Um I don't want those rusting up or anything like that. Um so he went in and grabbed those and a couple other things. And then, like, had to give them so my coach could give them to me. It was this whole process. Um, So, eventually, we get to this tournament having not played in a month. um, We played our first game, somehow end up um, up 3-2, even though, like, we hadn't practiced for a month. But then, all of a sudden, like, just blew it in the second, third period and go losing the game 8-3. So, that was our first game. It was kind of rough. Then the next night, there was one of those big fights. So a bunch of my teammates went out drinking and stuff. Like yeah. was up to like 3, 4 in the morning. And of course, we've got a game the next day against um, George Washington. And the first period, after the first period, we were down 6 nothing Because it was just the number of 3 on os 3-on-1s I saw in that game were unbelievable. And I was livid. I was not having it. I came... I stormed into that locker room after that first period and went off on the entire team. I was like, this is what you get for drinking and all this stuff. And so kind of with scenarios like that, I've never been a big drinker, especially um, around hockey season, just kind of keeping in line with, you know, hockey's the focus I can drink when I'm older and in the big leagues,
0: basically.
3: So Adrian has a D3 team in the NCAA but right now, I don't know if it was the same when you were there. They have an ACHA team at all three levels. So is that yes. the case when you were there?
18: So I went there, and it was one ACHA D1 team and two D3 ACHA teams. They had the okay. gold and the black. And at the time, gold had won two straight national championships. And my freshman year, they won a third. Um. So, yeah, I actually – I ended up at Adrian because – coming out I had gone to New Jersey and played mm-hmm. for the Titans before they had the NA team okay. for my last year of junior and I didn't have a place to play. It was a bad year. We had four goalies. I was only good for like half of the year at best. <laughs> um and so like nobody really wanted me on there and I kind of get it. So I sent emails to everybody. And yeah. Adrian was one of the first to respond. They sent me to a spring preview day and when I came back from the spring preview day, I was just like, yeah, I want to go there. So (laughs) I ended up going and playing there and I had to try out. So (laughs) I was, I was signed up to try out for every team at that school at that point. So I was good. I was going to go to three tryouts. Basically (laughs) I was going to try and get a tryout with NCAA three D D three team, the ACHA D one team. And then the, Two D three ACHA teams, and what ended up happening is I I showed up to the D one ACHA tryout. Their third goalie had decided uh, Frank Krupe, He actually runs the Hockey Illuminati uh, Instagram. Oh, yeah. yeah, he he was he was the third goalie the year before. He had decided, look, I want to go to the D three team. I want to do more with my broadcasting stuff because he was he was calling all the games. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to go down. So congratulations you made the team <laughs> and like and then from there it just kind of it kind of rolled
3: when I look at the setup they have there with four teams
10: mm-hmm.
3: um you know some MCA teams will have their varsity and their JV um or they'll have their NCA team and one ACHA team yeah and Really, the the way I've seen those, you know, that they operate very separate from each other. But it mm-hmm. sounds like at oh, Adrian, yeah. it's almost a a little bit of a feeder system in a way. Um, how is it having those four teams on campus? And you know, is there player movement up and down?
18: So there's not really a ton of player movement between the ACHA and the NCAA teams. That's mm-hmm. a lot of like the recruiting is separate, so it, yeah. it kind of works that way. Um the ACHA teams, there's a bit more movement. Um, the coach that came in my senior year, Gary Astalos, really does a good job of recruiting for every team and getting the assistant coaches out to see players and like they'll get a spot on one of the ACHA teams and then the tryouts kind of sort out who goes where. Um mm-hmm. but the ACHA is fairly separate from the NCAA. Like we all get along, we all hang out, but as far as player movement and stuff it's not really the same it's funny because we have four guys teams on campus there were three girls teams on campus by the time i left and there were there was a big figure skating team too so that rink so from 6am until 10pm pretty much every day there was practice we practiced at 8am for the last 2 years or 3 years i was there and like it was It was always busy at that rink. Just Saturdays and Fridays, Friday nights, Saturdays and Sundays, you'd be games from like five o'clock Friday or seven o'clock Friday all the way until three o'clock in the afternoon is the last start on Sunday. Like it was, it was always stacked up, but they've got such a great facility there. I mean, each team has their own locker room.
3: Oh, that's nice.
18: Um, We had, we had the big, like the big, you know, NHL style stalls where we get to hang all our stuff and it looks cool and pretty. Yeah, and That know. was always, that was always fun. Um, Our room was connected to the NCAA D3 room actually, and theirs is a little bit nicer, but it's not, it's not that different. Like they yep. set it up to really make everything about the same. The teams were really good. We were ranked in within the top 10, I think almost the entire time I was at Adrian. Oh, nice. So we were top 10 in the ACHA D1 the entire time. And like, it was a phenomenal time. And my senior year, by the end of my senior year, we had a freshman come in that year who had a really good year. Um, I played about half the games in the first half, ended up in the stands for the second half of my <laughs> senior year. So... I I had a lot of mixed feelings going through, obviously, like you want the team to do really well, but you're frustrated with your position. Yep. And so my last game was, it was a weird one. We played Illinois State, who was a new program. Yep. And beat them 13 to (laughs) one. So that was, that was kind of typical of us at, at certain times. I think I faced like 20 shots. The only goal I gave up was I gave up a rebound on a two on one and the guy buried it backside like sure whatever and yeah. the the joke throughout my time at college was I couldn't keep a shutout to save my life
8: <laughs> literally
18: literally no matter what happened I would lose the shutout in the last five minutes of a game like it was yep. clockwork it, at some point in those last five minutes something would happen and it's like oh snows gave up a goal well crap <laughs> and everyone would ju- like you'd just laugh about it at the end of the day
19: Uh, so I went through the the driving aspect and the schooling there and picked up into some of the crew work that the, the folks that looked after my father's racing program in the latter years mm-hmm. um, also then rolled on and got into uh, Can-Am and then subsequently IndyCar work with Jacques Villeneuve, Jacques Villeneuve senior, the, the uncle, not the, the younger, younger Jacques. Okay. And that sort of, crossed into or wide out into uh, work with Porsche Endurance Racing. And again, a lot of these people that I had met, um, I guess that that my father was racing with, they were on on his team that went off in these other branches and grew. Um, A lot of them became a very very good source of information a lot of very good help in in the initial sorting out of concepts for what the original mask was but um while that was on a parallel path yeah there was uh the, the friend of mine from town who i guess as these combo masks were first starting to take root and, and really gain some steam again he probably like a lot of other goaltenders of the year said wow I've, I've got to get one of these planned yep. really cool and found somebody to build him build him his mask and then as he made no wanted my help in as far as laying some paintwork on it and styling it
3: so he didn't just come to you to say hey can you paint a mask I already have he said hey I want you to build me a mask and maybe put something pretty on it
19: uh no the, the first step actually was where he had again I didn't know he was doing this but went out and found someone to build him a mask okay um and then when he got the mask back, it was then my job to paint his mask for him. Okay. And so we, we disassembled the mask and, and got it ready to go. And
3: um, And then the gears started going and you were kind of like, I, I might be able to do something better than this.
19: It, it started that way. Yeah, it was, we were a little disappointed with the, the fit and finish of the part when we got it back. And mm-hmm. um, from the art side, I had the mechanical side. He was also in, in an automotive industry and in the bodywork side of things. So there was some some room for improvement, we thought. And, yep. and then as I say, the, the gears start turning with how can we make this or how, how can I make this better? Mm-hmm. And so we left with a, a clean sheet of paper uh, or starting with a clean sheet of paper um, and not having any preconceived, preconditioned views as to how, how the product should be other than what I had in front of me and what you would obviously see in the newspaper, the odd television clip that you pass over. Um, And it was probably the thing that helped make the armadillo that I built as distinctive and different. And as what it was, because we didn't have, we we weren't in the vacuum that everybody that else is in the hockey industry is they've um, of all the other masks that have come along since the late 80s.
3: They have a similar style to them. You know, the, the holes might be different, there might be a little bit different ribbing, but your mask is really the only one that has a different profile to it. Uh, you know, all of, all of them kind of have a similar, if you were to, you well, I'll step back, you could use a simple mask template to draw up what, what you want. It doesn't matter if it's a old iTech, a Bauer, a CCM, or even the new Warriors, but the mm-hmm. Armadillo, it had its own unique look. You you can spot an Armadillo out of the crowd any day, but, you know, some of these other ones, it's like, well, is that a Warriors that a CCM? I'm not right. really sure.
19: Yeah. And, and they all seem to draw from, I think anybody else in the industry uh, knows probably one of the, I guess the, the leading makers and has the most number of of goalies that he's worked with over the years built some incredible stuff uh with greg harrison mm-hmm. i'm sure you're familiar with
3: yeah and, as an eddie Belfour fan he you know he made the, the iconic original Belfour ego mask so yes, yes. i'm
19: familiar with his work. And the list yeah, and the list goes on from there he um, was really influential in in that whole concept so most of the other builders uh, to paraphrase the whole concept of it but I was a goalie. I wanted a mask. I built myself a mask. Yep. My buddy wanted one. I built him one too. And so on and so on. They told two friends and just like yeah. that old chip So the story goes. <laughs>
20: yeah.
19: um, so anybody who was in the industry playing and wanted a mask was reminded multiple times a day or multiple times a week of this is what the gold standard for a product mm-hmm. should be. Right. Um, so they all, Subconsciously, or a lot of them consciously, borrowed very strongly from Greg's build concept, and that's why you see the look of him. so many of them are the same. Yep, because they shared his concepts. Yep, and not coming from that part of the world, um, I really wasn't. Let's say preconditioned that it had to look this way. Or it didn't have to protect this way. Um, so having a, a different life to draw from, a different set of skill sets, um, just a whole clear, open mind to to approach the, the task, um, it, it resulted in, in a different product. It also it probably all started with luck. <laughs> probably <laughs> the easiest way to say it. Uh, the timing of being in the right spot at the right time. Because um, it timed out, oh, it wasn't weeks after we undertook the project of painting my friend's mask and, and getting that done and tuned up. Mm-hmm. Uh, right when that project came to completion, um, and th- there was some rumblings in chat about uh, the start of this new mask that, that we we're going to design and build. And it timed out with uh john brown the the equipment Mm -hmm. manufacturer um he i think mark was one of one of his guys he had and they they would travel around to different sports stores throughout the off season as as a bit of a promotion and stirring up some interest in their gear and they would have i guess their pro goalies show up at different retail stores around as a a great drawing crowd to bring the folks in and get get your stuff autographed and and meet the pros Um, the sports store in our town. Again, I didn't know it. it was having Mark in on a Saturday afternoon to show the gear off and sign autographs and meet folks. And uh, so the buddy of mine was aware of this, and a friend of his worked at the store, so it was kind of an easy trip in to stand in line and conversation. I think my buddy might have brought his mask along as a bit of a talking point, and Mark showed a fair bit of interest in it, and. Um, at one point said, oh, that's really cool. Could you guys make me a mask? And without thinking, yes, was the instant (laughs) response that happened for it. And realizing that training camp really wasn't that far away. So it was, uh, really had to push the go button and really accelerate the timeline from concept and development and to get his piece ready for him. And um, it was I think anybody who's ever started their own deal up have had the same story of it, I guess, up till the almost completion, there was working your day job, then working this project in, in evenings and weekends. Yep. And the last week leading up to it, I think I, I woke up to start my day job on Wednesday. The timeline was at crunch, worked overnight Wednesday on on the mask project, day job (laughs) on Thursday, overnight Thursday on the mask, day job Friday. And then after the day job Friday, finished off the, I guess the finishing touches on the paintwork. And it was 11 o'clock Friday night that we actually had to hang our freshly cleared wet paint with coat hangers in the back of my van and started our trip to New York to deliver this mask that we had to meet up with Mark. It started Saturday, a training camp did. So we were, we hit the road with the mask dripping wet in paint with all the cages and the foam and the bits and pieces just kind of in bags that we had to take with us. And assembly of the product happened on route um so I'm I'm sure by the time we got to New York with this freshly almost dry mask that uh, I'm sure Mark must have got a bit of a chemical buzz off it just because it was still the paint was still gassing off on him by the time we got to him in Canada they had had the uh, Canadian Sporting Goods Association
13: Mm
19: -hmm. uh, which was sort of the the umbrella that all the retail stores became a part of and um, had they have their big buyers show I guess with a big show every year in February in in Montreal so as a a bit of a recon I made the trip down to Montreal and walked the show and just trying to get a feel for the new industry that I was getting involved with and it happened to be the same year that they released the San Jose Sharks mm-hmm. uniforms when they did the, the big display of that that happened. The unveiling was at the show and saw them the drop the curtain on that and was amazed as probably what everybody else was when they saw the, the teals and silvers and blacks and the, the shark eating the stick and the whole deal. It, it was a pretty cool time. Um, so out that night with some folks from from our part of the world met from London and other Ontario folks in the industry uh, wrote and enjoying some time at a jazz club in downtown Montreal. And the, the talk obviously turned to that was kind of the highlight of the day of what these new uniforms were like and sitting at the, at the bar. And so, wow, if, if I ever get a chance to make a shark mask in still being in dream stage at that point. Yeah. And I grabbed a whole of a cocktail napkin and I doodled out what I I'm never going to make a shark mask. This is what it should probably look like. And, and that was the iconic Brian Hayward mask. It's exactly what it turned into. Yes. And uh, took that napkin, crumpled it up, stuck it in my pocket. And when I got home a couple of days later, I had the napkin and built a, uh, I guess in the art world, they're referred to as artist proofs mm-hmm. where, where you test out. And I, I wanted to get it down on hard copy and create a three dimensional mass to make sure that the concept worked, and, and and I did, and that piece is sitting right up above me on the shelf of the first original concept off that napkin doodle.
3: And do, do you still have the napkin, though? Uh,
19: the original napkin? No, I had to. <laughs> uh, I yeah, w- wish I did, and uh, I I wouldn't want to guess as to where it ended <laughs> up <laughs> because that. Kind of like when I was racing, we were going to the races with Pop. You just never, you never realized the intensity of the moment when you were there. Yeah. Looking back on it all these years later, and it's like, man, that stupid piece of paper would be really, really cool to have right. <laughs> it, it sat up, I guess, once I finished the artist proof, it ended up sitting up on the shelf in my shop for good four to six months, I bet. Just... <laughs> collecting dust, being cool, I guess, sitting up on the shelf. <laughs> uh, when they announced the team, I guess, it was like an unprotected draft, I guess, where they picked up guys that were existing in the team already, or in that other yeah. team already. And Brian was was, was tagged as the, the goaltender for it. Um, my lack of knowledge of hockey, yeah, for, all, for all I knew at the time, you could have been Brian Hayward. I, I had no <laughs> idea who the guy was um and as that was announced and it turned out that brian was his, his mom and dad lived probably a half hour 45 minutes from from where i lived where, where mm-hmm. the shop was and he traveled around in the summer it, it was either a three-on-three or a four-on-four road hockey scenario that he would go travel from town to town with and from kids to young adults i guess whatever their their competitions and found out that by the time I figured this out he has had been through my town and onto the next (laughs) one already so I missed that opportunity um is by the time I figured it out he was going to be 45 minutes or so away in another another town and actually had to go to my mom and get a hockey card from one of Ryan's hockey cards from her so that I knew what the guy looked like, <laughs> and as I drove out to where the new shop, were, where his new street hockey tournament was going on, and I packed up my casting kit to get his head mold, hopefully, and brought along that artist proof of the shark masses. Yeah. and I had to wipe the dust off it and clean it <laughs> to take it out and show him that in the shop, and wandering around the arena. Holding, holding up this card, trying to put a face that matched the, the picture on the card. And f- finally did connect with him and um, introduced myself and pulled the the artist proof out of the bag and basically explained to him what I was doing. And he stuck it on and quick ran into the bathroom to do a mirror test on it, I guess. You've
3: always got to see how they
19: look with their new mask. That, that's everybody's first step with that. And yep. Yeah. Um he came back, said, Yeah, I'd like to do this, but I'm leaving for training camp in it was either a week or a week and a half when he was hopping on a jet to California. And probably probably like Mark's scenario, I was like, sure, we can we can get that ready for you. And so I cast him up that day and from there hauled it back to the shop and built a plaster positive from it and just went through the process of creating him his version of that shark mask mm-hmm. and it was the the night before he was leaving to go to California I drove to his mom and dad's place and met with him and the family and I had tea and pie on the front porch <laughs> with, with the Hayward family and got Brian his new mask and I don't even, not sure there was even many adjustments that needed to be done to it that evening and next day he was off to California and uh, I think it was three days after that, uh, back when we had answering machines back then, a little box that sat on your desk beside your phone that would record incoming yep. phone calls that, that you weren't able to get, pick up on. And there was a couple calls. And one in particular came through was from a, a client of mine in Toronto that was almost out of breath himself and said, like, do you, you've got to grab a USA Today, which at the time was a newspaper. Yep. Uh, yeah, they just recently...
3: Ended uh, printing. I'm an old <laughs> newspaper guy, so I'm very very familiar with it. <laughs>
13: okay.
19: And the, the newspapers at the time were sold in little metal boxes parked at the side yeah. of the road, usually near bus stops. Um, so I hopped on my bike and I blasted all around town to grab the today's copy of USA Today. And a uh, nice color shot of it on the front page of the sports section and with, a, I think, a blurb of Shark's goalie has menacing mask kind of a phrase to it and at that point it i think that's really when the fuse got lit and when things really started to take off that um newspapers back in the early 90s were the well, that, that was the internet that's that yeah. where everybody got their news from yep so it, i missed it, those it, days yeah. <laughs> yes um, and it did popped up in posters and it, it was a really high profile piece again it really caught me off guard as to how much traction that, that thing got uh, one, one of the younger kids that I built a mask for that lived in Poughkeepsie New York of all crazy places uh was at a goaltending camp over the summer um had one of my masks and they had a guest instructor in um and turn, turn out to be Mike Richter was, was the the guest instructor at this camp. Yep. Um, from the way this kid's dad explained it to me during the phone call that night, that Mike was really taken with your mask. Uh, thought it was <laughs> really cool. Just went on and on about how how the interaction between Mike and, and his son went that day. So it, it was suggested to me that I need to call the Rangers, book an appointment, and, and talk to Mike. I did that and reached out and it happened to be the same trainer that was there when I worked with Mark the the year prior and set a time up to, to stop into their facility. And they were in Rye, New York, I think is where their training facility was Mm -hmm. at that time. Made made the trip down, booked the, booked the trip and um, met up with Mike, got him cast, but it it was really much more lukewarm than, than what this kid's dad had led me to believe it was going to be. And I saw John walk by the, the open door for the trainer's room and um, you could, and it's a sound you, you hear a lot around a basketball court or the, the sound of the, the running shoes or sneakers breaking quickly. And you get that peeling, burning rubber sound as John stopped and quickly backed up and poked his head in the door and saw the masks on the ground. And I think twice I said, well, who, who are these? And they, pointed to me, and I kind of raised my hand a bit, and John came over at and really polite about asked if he could take a look at one, and he picked it up and rolled it around in his hands, and um, as the conversation rolled on, he said, I'm actually on my way out for a a scrimmage. Is there any way I can try one of these in in the scrimmage? And again, yes is my favorite (laughs) answer to a lot of these questions. I got John fit up, and these were all, understandably, just stock, off the shelf retail kind of product they're not really yeah. fit to anyone so we got one and had it fit to him best we could for for a standard piece and he went out and played his scrimmage and afterwards, he skated back over the boards and commented that I, I got hit in the head uh, somewhere over here I think once um how do I get one of these kind of paraphrasing <laughs> that whole bit of conversation so um by, by the time I left there that day I had sat with John while he was getting his post game rubbed down and we discussed the simplicity of his first mask coming out and as far as the paint imagery on it goes. And
13: mm-hmm.
19: um again when, when that was done, I hauled it back home here and got his cast built up and the shell prepped and painted and was back at back in Rye one week later for the start of training camp. And it was I think kind of cool to be able to turn one around that quickly, and um, that that was sort of the start with with John. It uh, again, probably one of the longest running relationships I've had in the industry, and just uh, yeah, just real real stand up guy. Like they say, we're the most important
2: player on the team for many reasons. But yeah, even just the start. I remember when I first started, it was. I got so concerned about like, Oh, was I good enough? Or, you know, this and doing drop-ins. And then I realized after a while that players were just so happy to have a goalie, like, because the alternative not having a goalie was so game killing for them and say like, like that morning's ruined because they couldn't get a good hockey game with two goalies Yeah. Well, I started to realize and it actually took a lot of the pressure off was realizing they were just happy to have a body wearing gear, let alone being good and and playing the puck or doing, you know, some of the technical things. Victoria, it's a. You know it's it's a bittersweet type of place because like you said you're kind of hindered getting on and off mm-hmm. all my type as i talked about my history with sports um growing up and playing everything for us and it we have our own leagues here it's it's a you know pretty populated island but it's nowhere like vancouver but we would you know a lot of our trips for sports was taking the ferry over uh, to Vancouver and then taking it back and there's just a bunch of you know uh, requirements that come with that the ferries don't go after nine o'clock so yep. you know that's why we you know built help build the cave or built the cave is so he could you know if we go you can't go over to Vancouver and watch a Canucks game on a Saturday night because you can't get back so you have to get a hotel and then it starts to cost so you know it, it's a hindrance on on that part of getting on and off but it's one of the most beautiful places in I'd say North America I think it's one of the top ranked places to live in and in, uh, in, in Canada and to visit I think there's about 400 cruise ships come here each each year and um, it, it it doesn't even snow so we, we don't get snow here it gets cold and a little rainy but uh, we have the mildest temperature so even a lot of people from out East Canada who are done with that you know Canadian winter uh, move out to Victoria Yeah, I came up uh, as Ken's neighbor. He was probably three years into building it. I kind of say I got up there about 90% done, which is perfect timing for me. I don't have to do any of the hard work. Yeah. Um, But I got in there and he was just putting in like the little part of the ceiling to finish off. And and, uh, so he was about three years into it. And my landlord's kid invited me to go play, uh, at that time, go play road hockey up with the neighbors and that was ken and his son land yeah and so i get up there and you know we play a few times and then you know uh ken ken said let's show you something and then i remember my buddy sam my landlord's kid said you know he's got a pretty cool man cave fan cave and i was like you know, like everybody thinks it's gonna be you know a cool basement suite with like a big screen tv and a fridge yeah. of- you know kind of stuff that I've got in this office pretty much right now and um, <laughs> I walk in and I just like I remember stopping or I took a step back because I was just there was such a juxtaposition between what I actually had pictured in my head to what was standing in front of me I like I said a basement suite and there's this actual full-blown building built from the <laughs> ground up I found out they built it for their hockey passion the you know and I'm not mechanical or can't really build things with my hands. I'm super good digital videos and photos, but I can't, you know, I can do it. I just have never really done it, but I just have such a respect for people that can, knowing that they put in like, you know, the walls and they put in the floor and then they, then on top of that, they collected or they built a hundred plus hockey stick creations. So hockey stick canes, the floor has 1700 hockey sticks in it. They put in eight TVs, there's two bars and it just has some of the most cool stuff and and the thing that really you know it wowed me but the thing that kept me coming back and kept me coming back was two things a can um the place is meant for anything hockey it's Mm -hmm. not just the Blackhawks cave it's not a Penguins cave or Canucks it's for anything so I automatically felt welcome and I didn't feel like I was getting I didn't feel uncomfortable because I'm a I'm a Pens fan but then like oh this is just all Blackhawks stuff and you know it kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth, but you don't really want to come back to see a whole bunch of Hawks things. Like I that. do. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, so for me, it was the fact that you celebrated everything for the sport. You've got women's yeah. stuff, you've got stuff from the UK it, you know, it's not just NHL. We have, obviously it's a good amount of it, but um, and then just the fact, the second thing that kept me coming back to it and, and, you know, eventually wanting to see if Ken wanted to work together was everything had a story everything, it wasn't just thrown on the credit card. It was picked on the weekends by him and his father-in-law and his family. It wasn't, and same with all the creations It you know, he found it on the side of the road and then he recycled it with this, 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 and this. And it's, you know, for me, that, that is super, that's super impressive because I can't do any of that. So, you know, for them to do it and in my eyes, I'm like, wow, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of effort. And, you know, they really love that process of making something really cool and, and so I, would, I just kind of, you know, love people who are passionate about it. And I think the passion is super infectious. And I think that's when we I saw it. like, we got to put this online. I've seen people online making sick figures from eating, you know, food, you know, online. Yeah. Like, how can this place not, you know, I think when we started, we wanted to get sauce kits was one of our first thing. I'm like, maybe we'll get free products. And so now after, you know, some of the things I can't believe we've got to do, you know, Boston Gardens and you know the let's play hockey expo and yep. you know, the nhl awards and all-star game just as two idiots in a fan cave uh it's pretty special so that it was a uh, ken's ken's place is pretty special I and mean, we always try to make sure people can come and visit whenever possible Essentially I said to Ken, you know, like we, we, you've got to put this online. I'm like, this place Mm -hmm. is so crazy. You've built all this stuff. You didn't, it wasn't on a credit card on the weekend. It was, it was built off of a labor of love and, so, you know, we did the right things. We got cameras and we alarm systems and we protected it. We got the locks and all that stuff to protect it. Cause it is one of a kind and a lot of stuff in there is, is, is one of a really nice stuff. So yeah. um, that was kind of the first thing. And then he said, okay, let's go with it. And it's funny enough, like I actually wasn't in marketing at all at that time. I was actually still working for the province of uh, British Columbia, writing legislation and policy for uh, natural gas projects. So I actually spent, learned all the skills by working with Ken to mm-hmm. like, Oh, we need a website for the cave. Okay. So I learned that. And then it's like, Oh, well, we should probably get on Twitter and Instagram and learn all that. And like, like my, my wife, she's like, you should put this on Instagram because we were just at the Twitter at that time. And she's like, she Instagram. And so I just kind of had to learn as things came on, whether we wanted to do things, videos or product photos or mm-hmm. you know, whatever. I just, it had to be done by somebody. And that was my realm and not Ken's. Ken wouldn't be able to do any of this stuff, but super supportive on all the digital things. And then people started to see the success success that Cave was having, especially in Victoria. And then a few companies started asking for me to work with them and help. And I got up and quit my government job and started my own media business uh, pretty much right when my daughter was born. So I could have that flexibility and do kind of what I was doing for the Cave, but now for companies and it's going on to year three now. So it's been going. Pre- it's been great. I, I, you know, it's you gotta. I, I really like working for myself. I really like yeah. that, that kind of time. But you know, you gotta. I always tell people. Everyone's like, oh, when you're working for yourself, you've got to like work so hard and do this, this, this. But for me, I'm like, you, you gotta have the skill to know when to turn it off, too. No, we we started off like I, I started coming back up, like you know next couple of days or a few weeks and it was just having been in that first little initiation stage a getting to know each other yeah um, but you know for me I got to hear all these stories about you know this place this was given by someone or you know this was a friend who donated and that's where you know fell in love with the places because it was just built on cool hockey stories and real stuff not just paid or bought or yeah I paid to meet this person and this is that photo it's like no like this was get donated by a friend and they came and built it and can put all their names on the cup and all these crazy stories. So it was, it was over a bit, a bit of time and and drinking, just having beer across from the 12 foot bar and taught watching hockey and talking hockey and, you know, you know, getting uh, defending my team and attacking his team and vice versa, as you know, usually happens with guys and beers. And, um, but it, you know, that's, that's, I just said, we just got to start. I mean, there's, just try it, see what happens. I'm like, if we, and we still, to this day, as long as we are having fun, we'll just keep going. yep uh, You know, we always take it back to, like I said, two idiots in a fan cave. That's where it started as us sitting across the bar, having beers. And that's, you know, if probably, you know, I would have been there this weekend if it wasn't for uh, the pandemic, but you know, if it, we learned that everything we've been doing since has been just a, a pure bonus and a, and a blessing, that you know our our expectations are very small, which is I guess good. That you know whether it's you know we're fortunate enough for have someone you know like the wraparound guys send us a wraparound, we are thrilled. Like yeah. Or you know we get to work with somebody or got to be a part of Kane Van Gates movie and got yep. this premiere with him live. I got to help film some of it and be a part of it from the production side. It's just. You know, we're just so grateful for all of it. We don't take it for granted, and we just want to still just always be those those guys with a fan cave that you know you could roll just roll by and have a beer with us and watch some hockey.
3: Tell me a little bit where this idea of for the love of puck came from.
21: Yeah, so I mean, I think it's a little bit of just um, pulling together. A, what I love most—I mean, I've been watching my brother for years playing golf and selling and doing all he does is play golf and makes sales to people—and I always envied that sort of like uh, lifestyle, wrapping in what he loved most with what he's doing. And I can't say right now that I'm, you know, crushing um, funds with <laughs> with this brand or whatever we're doing, but I think you know it's just an idea of this this what we're doing is I think is just promoting the fact that the lifelong idea of hockey, you know, what, what it really means to get out there and skate and just kind of a show of, you know, how unique this sport is for um, the social aspect and just, you know, um, health and wellness and just, you know, just everything about it fits, you know, checks so many boxes for me personally. And, you know, as we, started this and um, kind of thought of it in so different, so many different ways. One being maybe a brand and we are doing that and developing that, but also, you know, we started this uh, documentary film that we've been filming and kind of covering all those aspects I've been talking about. And I think it's been a very unique experience to kind of um, get out there and, and challenge our passion with other people that play the sport and find that you're meeting people that you feel like you've known your whole life and um, you just met them. And it's all, you know, coming around this uh, amazing sport that we play and um, hockey players are just really just hockey players. Even the people are in the upper levels. It's it's Mm -hmm. all treated as a, as you know, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's just, it's not just what they do for a living or a sport. It's like, this is something that's going to stick with them forever. And, um, I think it's really cool, and you know these guys that continue to play, they just continue to play. I mean, there's not many. You, you, you don't, you know, it's not like a, a football where you just you, when you're done, you're done. You, you, yep. You you have this passion. You continue to play the sport. you organizing these skates, and you you start to get a group of people that start showing up the people that are staying are the ones I've categorized people that are the yeses. They're always a yes, you know, yep. you know, if you, you got something going on the yes, they'll, they'll come out and skate. And then there's the maybes. And then there's the, you know, there are definitely the people just like to go there, get the exercise, get out. Yep. And, um, you know, they're all, they're all different walks, but I mean, I, there is a quite a culture with, or it's nice to have a culture with your skate because, yep. you know, for the couple of times you get out, especially nowadays, it might be the only thing you're doing. So you might yeah. as well hang on. Well, I do have a story is actually in the Chicago tournament. I, that tournament I happened to be playing. Um, I played wing. which I normally don't, but, um, I kept the goalie. I, I you know, I'm screaming the goalie. That's my spot. Just get in front of the, the goalie. Mm-hmm. And, um, guy had it out for me he he jacked me in the nuts at least seven times I didn't react and um the next the very last time shot from the point came bounced off his pads I turned around spun it in and uh nothing super glamorous or anything but you know just right place right time and um the guy came up to me he said man I have been after you all game, I, I've chopped you in the nuts so many times, and you don't put that goal in on I me. Mean, he's like, "You deserve some sort of medal." He's like, you, "Didn't you feel that? I'm like, "Ah, you know, I just got over my uh, testicular cancer." So the, guy, the guy's face dropped to the floor, and I just skated away, <laughs> didn't leave him with any any other response in that. But he he was floored by that. <laughs> Needless to say, he did not come near me the rest of the game. <laughs> nice. The
3: idea behind my podcast is really to talk to goalies of all uh, skill levels about their the game, what they love about it, but also what they do away from the game to keep themselves um, grounded. And obviously, you guys have a really unique story with uh, Belfour Spirits, um, which... I'm a home beer brewer. So I I'm fascinated by how, how you got into the spirit side of it.
22: So it's, it, it's all crease related. Joy, I swear to God, if you're, if you're a home brewer, it we've been stuck in the crease for the entirety of our existence. Yes. And you're like, Hey, I, I'm creative still. I got to do something else. When you were traded um, to San Jose,
3: um, First of all, I had a game the next day. It was a JV game, and I think I let in six goals in the first period. So at the end of the year banquet, my coach said, well, I learned one thing this year. Never play Joe the day after Eddie Belfour has been traded uh, <laughs> because it's not going to go well for us. But I went across the street to Hockey Unlimited and brought my San Jose jersey. He said, all right, I want number 20 and Belfour put on the back. And Linus, the guy that ran the place, he goes, but he wears number 30. He said, not anymore. He changed it. He goes, why would he do something like that? why 20? And I, I tried to explain. I said, I don't know, but I heard he changed it to 20 and honor a Act. He goes, you're paying for it. So I'm going to do what you want, but I don't believe you. And that, then it came back like two weeks later and he goes, Oh, okay. You, you were probably right. had the
20: first one.
3: But, yeah, <laughs> probably. Um, still have it hanging in the closet and I pull it out every now and then. In fact, I was at the, uh, let's play hockey expo last year here in the twin cities. And that's the one I wore around and it, uh, got a few few comments from
20: it was amazing you know as a nine-year-old kid and you know the golden jet from uh, you know my favorite team as a little kid was the blackhawks so i yeah. you know bobby hall was my favorite player and then he's playing in winnipeg uh, you know an hour away from where i grew up and then he comes out to carmen and To watch us kids play. I mean, that was just a dream come true as a little boy. And then he brought all those pucks and signed them all for the kids. He still does that. He's one of the best hockey ambassadors ever. We did an event with him in um, Aspen, Colorado about, was that two years ago, Dane, or three years ago?
22: I want to say it's been about three. And then before that, that, we were in Montreal together.
20: Yeah. And he, He's still the same, um, you know. We were we were watching the kids play, and then they're all coming up for autographs, and you know he just stayed right till the very end, and and I think an extra couple hours he was there signing for all yep. the
22: kids. Joe, there's honestly, it's it's stupid, but there's really not that many words. Um, when when you grow up, kind of playing the game, that's just your life. Um, yeah. I was born into this game. It's all I knew. So, you know, Edward, you know, him, he's one of the best goaltenders in the world. And that's all I knew. So this is life. There's, there's nothing else outside of hockey, outside of the ice, outside of these guys, the the jet, you know, styles, you got Jr, Jeremy Roenick, like, that guy's one of the coolest guys ever in the world to play the game. And and he's, he's, he's calling me over to his stall in, in the, you know, United center here, Dana, here have some, have some uh, double bubble gum because you would always (laughs) have a, have a bucket of that on top of his stall. And I'll never forget this, but now that I'm 31 years old, I think I've earned the right to say this, but I'll never forget the day that Jeremy Roenick rigged an auction at, at the at the the hockey camp, Chelly's uh, hockey camp that they did every <laughs> year, he rigged the auction so I'd win his autographed jersey. Like <laughs> that's what I was raised with. Like that, that's the that's the coolest dude in the world for me. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I
20: think uh, for me, it was always about the equipment, and you know back when i was a kid um uh, you know the the gold pads were made of um leather and, and deer hair and um you know the the face masks were just uh basically almost like a catcher's uh helmet mm-hmm. with with a screen that sits on the face and right back then was when um you know they started making those uh plastic they're almost plastic uh Jacques Plante face type masks and I always thought those were so cool looking. I'm like, I want to wear that cool mask. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'd wear it and you had the helmet that went on top of your head with it. And um, I wasn't a goalie right from the start. I was actually a forward, but I still play goal once in a while as a little kid uh, just to try it and always loved tinkering with the, the goalie pads. And back then the kinsmen supplied all the goalie equipment, you know, we uh, couldn't afford to buy any equipment back mm-hmm. then and, Uh, you know, I always got all the hand-me-downs and used equipment and stuff like that, but I always loved playing with the the equipment and and messing with it. And, um, I remember, um, I got my first new set of pads when I was about 13 years old, I think it was 13 or 14. It was because the, uh, the ones that I was wearing all the hand-me-down stuff, they would be like deer hair all over my crease. And, um, (laughs) While the play was going on, I'd be like grabbing the deer hair out of the crease and skating over to the back then we didn't have glass, we had the chicken wire. So you know, I'd be throwing throwing the, the deer hair through the chicken wire, skating back to the net as fast as I could. And all the parents are yelling at me, Eddie, get back in the net, get back in the net. <laughs> it, it, it's... So finally one of the parents, uh Mr. Lush, Jerry Lush, um one of my teammate's fathers uh he's passed away now uh, god bless him but he went down he got sick and tired of seeing me skating over the, to the chicken wire and he bought me a brand new set of uh, coopers and uh i still remember to this day getting those coopers and being so like i was just on cloud 9 and you know i had the the mink oil and i oiled them all up and took them home and slept in bed with them and oh my gosh it was just uh Just an amazing time, and and I just loved the equipment. Like, I was probably a a better forward, actually, as a little kid. I scored a lot of goals and very competitive. Uh, But as time went on, growing up in a small town, the two guys that would play goal on our team, they didn't want to play goal anymore. I was the only one that knew how to play goal, so it was was like the coach and all of my teammates like, hey, you you got to play goal now. (laughs) (laughs) And I look back, and it was a good thing that that happened. think I would have made
22: it as a forward I really do value how I started playing hockey you know every kid starts out you know really young ages learning to you know just get on the ice with their parents with their mom and dad usually and it's around the age of four or five you know really starting to skate you know on your own um and I was a dude I was a left D because of my godfather Chelly you damn right I was a left D and uh <laughs> and from, from there the evolution just kind of took place uh you know mom kept on bringing me back to uh, practice every day and before I knew it that was a year down the road and under the belt and another one and another one and I ended up playing uh left wing right wing jumping up to center I played all positions um and by the age of 12 I was practicing just for fun once or twice out of the season, just throwing the pads on. And then it was when I was 12 years old, I asked my mom to ask dad, cause I was too scared. I think <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to set a goalie gear and, uh, I'll never forget it. I, I, I had, uh, my first set of all blacked out Bowers, uh, that's when dad was still wearing, you know, Cooper Bauer relationship. And that was right around his transition into Vaughn gear. And I had the frickin matching like gear that he had when he won the cup back in 99. So I was like, I'm yeah, still I wearing that stuff. I, I bought this Dude. stuff in
3: 99. That's what I still wear today is the Vaughn legacies.
22: Those are the best pads. Yeah, I they swear awesome they, pads. they had such nice hard shin pieces on the yep. inside of your calf. Like you could stand Paps. and make a save. You could go down and they stacked. They were just awesome. And I was just like that. So, yep. you know, like that was always, that was just a positive. For me. I'm exactly like that. So it's the best ever. And then I just never left the pipes, man. <laughs>
20: We would wear a lot of the same equipment, so I would give him some of my equipment to wear and break in. I, I had the um, all the different skate profiles that we were working on, and Dane would try those, and he, he would really help me develop a lot of my equipment and, and my skates, and give me feedback, which you know in turn helped me uh, make the equipment better. As you know, over the years, they're always changing the rules and the size of the equipment mm-hmm. and you know what you could do and what you couldn't do. Which you know, you just get the the glove and the pads perfected, and then they come in and say, "Oh, you got to change this. You can't have this anymore." I'm like, "Oh, we just spent the last three years on
9: you know, perfecting
20: it." Thanks <laughs> well, a lot, guys. But in, at least in the
3: goalie community, you're legendary for tinkering with your equipment. You know, being the guy that sharpened his own skate. So uh, that that would really impact somebody like you. You know, I've talked to other boys where like, I, I just wore what was uh, off the shelf. They, they didn't tinker with it. But for somebody like you, you know, the Vons I bought from uh, Jerry's uh, down the street from ISA hey, aren't the Vaughns you were wearing? That's for sure.
20: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I um, remember we, we got the hacksaw, we're cutting the pads <laughs> in half and pulling the stuff out. Well, this, this, this foam here is way too soft. You know, we need to you know, tighten this area up here. And, you know, we really got into the pads and customized them. And, and, you know, I'm sure every time that I came to to the Vaughn factory, Mike was <laughs> probably just shaking his head. Oh my gosh, here comes and the power guys, you know, <laughs> Dave Maunder, he was awesome to work with. And, and, you know, everyone was just awesome to work with the guys, you know, at the CCM factory, the Reebok factory, you know, Jill's, he was my equipment and, and, you know, Dane would always get to try it too. And, you know, it was, he would help me uh, and keep the, the darn rules the same because you get something just figured out and it was perfected and you'd be getting shutouts and playing awesome and then they change the rules again. <laughs>
3: yeah. Now Back you, to the
20: drawing board.
3: You mentioned the, the Bauer Cooper days. Um, in my opinion, that, Cooper reactor five set you had is the all time greatest looking oh, setup those with are the black cool. and white stripes. Why nobody using the Bauer DigiPrint hat? Like, Mike McKenna did the reactor five, but he didn't do it with the black and white stripes. But as the story goes, that first set of reactor fives you got were white. And for some reason, you got a Sharpie out and added those black stripes. So, first, is that true? And second, if it's true, why did you add it? Why did you get the Sharpie out? And then I got to know, was it the fine tip
20: Sharpie or was it at least one of the big tip Sharpies? <laughs> it's, it took a while to do that. Yeah, we, we definitely markered up. I think there was two sets that we markered up like that. And um, it just, I don't know, I wanted to create the you know kind of a an illusion for the for the shooter just mm-hmm. to maybe mix them up a little bit you know he lose the puck in the pads on rebounds and stuff like that I was always trying to figure out what was the best for rebounds you know or or when there's a, a scramble and if they could lose sight of the puck just for a second you know it helps me maybe recover just for that extra second and, and be able to make that second
22: or third save. Oh, that's really funny you're saying this, but today, out of left field, and it's probably because of you know the like podcast we're having, I started thinking of games I was playing, all the different equipment I was wearing. And I was like, I know hundred and ten percent in my mind with what I've gone through just with dad. I could make my own equipment. That just came out of left field today. <laughs> I was like, I could well, I can I can design new equipment for new kids. That I mean, that'd be great. I know what I'm talking about. I've worn it, I've been through it. And I just had to laugh because, along the lines of what Dad was saying, you know, I just had it all figured out, and it freaking changed everything and wrecked it for us. (laughs) So at at the end of my career, you know, I was so used to making changes every single year, Um, you know, within you know your gloves, your blocker, your pads but my pants, my chest. I mean, I wore the same chest protector for seven years as dad's old CCM chest protectors, the Mm -hmm. best damn thing. It was thin. You could actually turn your head and see what's going on behind you. And you didn't die because it was 120 degrees with foam and all this other crap. I just, I I absolutely love tinkering, but I think to dad's point, I was a little bit different on my own style. And my ideas. not all the time linked up with dad's, but Together throughout discussion, I really think we came together with some unbelievable stuff. Like, I swear to God, I wish dad would have worn co hosts. I wore co hosts at the end of my career, and those are the best damn pads I've ever put on my legs. Dad was always like, Dane, you'll know when you put a pair of pads on your legs, you're going to go out and get a shutout. And I'm like, No, dad, I've never felt that. Not once, not ever. I feel terrible wearing these brand new pads. I want to wear the ones I've been wearing for five years because it felt great, but the co I could put them on, I could do cartwheels out on the ice, I was just, you know, kicking ass, and, and I love tinkering with stuff, just like dad, but I'd say just in a little bit of a different way, and together, without a doubt, my game, you know, was, was the way it was, because of, because of dad's, you know, insight, and his experience, and, you know, us changing with, you know, a few things, oh, you want to, Ah, uh, you, you look like you tripped up a little bit doing a C cut there, Dane. I think your hollow's too sharp. What are you What are you sharpening your skates at? That's a whole other topic of discussion. I mean, hours.
3: You guys also learned early on it's highly illegal to tinker with your uh, recipes at home. <laughs> so how how do you? Not only learn the craft of making whiskey, but do it to a point that you guys are winning awards you know, all over the place uh, for such a young brand. Well, no, we, no, comment, we, no comment, no
22: comment, no <laughs> comment. Yeah, don't worry, none, none of the federal authorities are listening to this.
20: <laughs> we pay attention, you know, like goalies to every detail. Yep. Um, you know, Dane and I both went to school to learn how to distill and everything about the business. Um, you know, so we went to the Canadian Institute of Distilling in Kelowna, BC. Uh, actually, during the playoffs too. So we got to watch some uh, Junior uh, Western Junior Hockey uh, playoffs while we were there. Uh, then after that, we went to the Moonshine University in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, learned so much more there and made a lot of connections in the in the bourbon industry and. and that We met there, still working and helping uh, uh, Belfort Spirits uh, perfect uh, its business and our business, and, and so we've, you know, learned a lot from those two schools. We had a chance to do a lot of tinkering at the schools while we were there and learning about the mash bills and, you know, all the different uh, geese that you can use. Dane was then lucky enough uh, to do an internship at Woody Creek Distillery in Basalt, Colorado, so he got to do hands-on work. Uh, on a day-to-day basis at the distillery. Uh, he made our first 12 barrels of our, our straight rye whiskey. Right now this uh, was our limited edition uh, straight rye whiskey. And it's the one with the very beautiful chalice on top. It uh, looks kind of familiar. Yep. <laughs> and I think, um, you know, with our, our business model, we, we love the special editions, the limited editions, the single barrels you know, the things that are really unique. Um, You know, we have, I bet, probably 20 little projects behind the scenes that we can come out with over the next 10 years. And you'll know, have the single barrel programs. You know, people love those single barrel programs and the small batches and special editions like the Sioux bottle that we just came out mm-hmm. with. I think it was sold out in like two weeks. <laughs> so well, it's it- awesome. There's
3: not much more to do up in Fargo right now with the, the way the (laughs) weather is. So yeah, it's, it's going to sell quick. (laughs)
20: Uh Yeah, no people, you know, we, we were fortunate enough to, uh, you know, Southern Glazer sent some of it to Illinois and some of it we had here in Texas also, and uh, it's done well, you know, in both places there too. We have some more of it that we're going to come out with sometime over the next year. We're not sure when, uh, so that some of the folks that didn't get any, we'll, we'll have some back on the shelves for those folks. But yeah. uh, we'll definitely have more special editions like that in the future. Some really unique products that that are interesting uh, to talk about and, and look at the history of, of that product. But the juice inside the bottle has got to, you know, it's got to be great too. And we, we're always, like you said, we're always trying to tinker with it and make it better. Being pulled out of a 2-2 game. Oh, you just don't do that. No. Yeah. That was my craziest moment. (laughs) I was like... I can tell you're still harboring feelings on that one. (laughs) The the locker room took the beating of that one.
3: (laughs) Dane, I'll give you the same question.
22: What was the craziest moment you had from your playing days? Oh my god i'm not gonna lie i uh i was in uh OCM in uh in the m j h l and uh, it's 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 way up north and uh, uh, very close to a, a a native uh uh native american reserve and uh the kids there that play on that team are just pieces of steel and the fans are even crazier and Mm -hmm. the fans were this is the first time i played in in manitoba i was 17 years old nine hours north of winkler and the fans are throwing bouncy balls and gumballs out on the ice and other pucks and they start talking to me and having conversations behind me and they're going hey is that eddie down there no 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 that's eddie's brother see he's got a seagull on his helmet that's not an eagle (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they were throwing pucks at me and gumballs behind me behind the net and I, I was a teenager back then and I had just broken into you know junior hockey and I'm trying to think I'm like is am I am I supposed to, I'm doing what I'm doing right I'm just not gonna you know look at these folks and then of course you make eye contact and then that's a whole conversation from there on and uh, never a dull moment in the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. It's it's sheer heart and grit there, and the uh, fans are extent. just as passionate.
20: <laughs> well, I, I really love Tony Esposito's mask. Um, you know, he was my favorite goalie when mm-hmm. I was a little kid, and I I drew uh, two uh, art renderings of him. I think I was in grade three, and I I just loved. Tony and and loved his mask that was my favorite mask and then I ended up winning first first prize in the Carmen Fair with with those art renderings of Tony Esposito so uh, you can imagine how happy I was signing with the Chicago Blackhawks to meet Tony Esposito yes
22: uh
3: Dan what about you what's your favorite all-time mask
22: I was always a big fan of obviously dad's mask I mean the eagle was just freaking so cool um i love patrick Laleem's mask uh with the little marvin the martian yes. <laughs> I, I love that one um but you know who had to have been my probably my favorite was roman Turek's mask my dad's goalie partner he had eddie the iron maiden guy on on his helmet and i i grew up you know after dad got traded to san jose left his entire cd collection so i had iron maiden deaf leopard scorpions kiss you name it and and i was like hey i know that guy and i i thought that was just the coolest mask roman turk's you know interpretation of eddie of iron maiden that was just awesome
20: yeah no that's awesome and uh brett always told me that and you know got to meet jude a few times and um you know he always was a wonderful kid. And, you know, we got him some equipment and stuff and I always give Brett some stuff to give to him. So it was a, a real pleasure for me to, to know that Brett's boy looked up to me and, you know, he wanted to be a goalie and, you know, and, and, and I was kind of, you know, the same way. Like when Brett told me like, yeah, Jude wants to be a goalie. He's a goalie. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Why <What? laughs> yeah. do you want to be a goalie? <laughs> you know. You think he's gonna be a, a natural born sniper for sure. Yeah. But yeah, you know, that was that was definitely an honor for sure.
22: Yeah, yeah. Dad, Dad. I don't I don't know who I don't think anybody ever looked at you. I think people were just too scared to to, <laughs> to say anything or look I uh, uh I don't know Dad who did you No, I didn't think it was too so – I mean, I got
20: chirped a couple times, but I, it, they they weren't repeatable chirps, <laughs> yeah. and I always, I got even pretty good. Um, one was about Dane's mom, oh. and so I can't repeat it, but it, it sure pissed me off. And then I went out and got like, I think the next two games, I, if I remember right, we, uh, I think we won. 2 1, and like I just stood on my head and just, yeah. you know, we were, it was in the playoffs too. Oh. And uh, the other team was up two games, nothing. And I got chirped. And I was like, oh, okay. That's, oh, uh, I think they probably wish they never chirped <laughs> me after that because we went on and beat them three straight. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> Ended up winning the series. It was against Toronto when I was with the Blackhawks.
3: I, I think I know the answer to this question, but I ask everybody, so I'm going to ask it. What's your favorite number
20: to wear and why? Well, obviously <laughs> number 20 because of Vladislav Tredgev. Yep, yep. Uh, it's it's uh, the, the, the day that we won the Stanley Cup. It ended up being the 20th of June. Uh, so that was pretty cool the game started on the 19th but if you remember we won it I think it was like I don't know, twelve thirty a.m or 1 a.m in the morning
3: yes I, I remember that game because uh, I was a senior in high school that year and I had just left uh, the day the game started to move into uh, the dorms at St. Mary's so I could work at the hockey camp and Mom and dad dropped me off, and then they went back to the hotel room, and mom says, yeah, dad's sitting there watching the game all down. He's like, I should be watching the game with Joseph. And she's like, "Ah, he's probably back at the dorms watching it with the guys. No, we weren't watching the game. We, we had the keys to the rink, and we went out and played for like four or five hours, um, and we're going, all right, we'll get back, and we'll watch the replay on ESPN, and we get back to our rooms, and we're like, oh, my God, the game's still going on. I, yeah. I turned – I turned the game on maybe two minutes before Brett scored that goal. You're a uh, good luck. Oh, yes. look at that. <laughs> yes,
1: I. Goalies. Um, I guess first advice I would say is you know, just go out and have fun. I mean, grab a hold of the fundamentals and try to learn you know the the basics like skating and you know, but uh, you know, try not to get too wrapped up and uh, you know don't let the pressure or anything get to you. Just go out and enjoy yourself and have a good time.
4: Yeah. Um, focus on your angles. I mean, I think that's, that's the big key to the game, you know, keeping your stick in front of you and mm-hmm. hanging on your angles. That's
3: 80%. I, I would agree. My My goalie coach that I went to for goalie camps when I was a, Young one, you know, he said it, it doesn't matter what style you play if you've got good angles. And always yeah.
4: keep your, your chest centered on the puck. Yep. If you do that, if you, if you keep that in mind, your you know, odds are with you.
6: I have so much, so much <laughs> advice for goalies. Um, my advice to a young goalie, I mean – the obvious one is never stop learning. Um but I will say be yourself.
13: Mhm.
6: Be okay. yourself. Do not try and be someone you're not. Um don't adhere to what people tell you to do. Find your own path, find your own way and be yourself and be creative.
7: Uh you know, I think I think the biggest thing is compete and have fun and those really go hand in hand the The more you compete the more you're going to have fun obviously mm-hmm. anytime you make big saves and um if if you're stressing over all the little things it's not it's probably the worst position you could ever play if you stress over <laughs> little things i mean you're gonna end up just hating hockey with a passion so uh really just kind of you know especially at a younger age relax have fun and and try to make the big saves, you know, and yep. uh, a big thing I see goalie coaching is our, our coach likes to do two on 0 drills sometimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, our goalies get, they always just get so mad as soon, as soon as they, the drill starts and they get scored on. It's like, guys, like, you know, this is the card we're dealt where he's not going to change up the drill. We're going to do the drill. So right. just try to make some saves. You know, they're supposed to score every single time they come down. So if you make one save in it, that's awesome. Just, you know, work on it. Cause guess what? In a game, if a two on O comes on you, you have to take it, you know, there's not, yeah. a, there's not an option. So you might as well just have fun with it and whatever the game throws at you, whether it's some games are going to go better than others, obviously.
9: You know, it's a lot easier to put in the work if you love the game yeah. and, and, and that, that should be, you should be playing because you love it. And uh, it it always, bothers me a little bit when I hear a young goalie say well I want to prove people wrong
8: Mm -hmm.
9: like you know what there's a lot of people who believe in you too so why not work to prove the people who believe in you right um prove to yourself the only person you have to prove anything to is yourself so you know do the work because you love the game and because you want to see how good you can be um I think I think that would be the biggest message
10: I think it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier of, you know, it's in, it's almost more for parents, but you know, make sure you love it and you get away from it. And when you go to the rink, make sure you want to be going to the rink. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing for kids and how to avoid that burnout is, you know, don't overdo it. You don't need to go skate, you know, eight times a week and be doing all these little things in between. And, you know, a lot of kids get bogged down with just doing skills and then you're not playing mm-hmm. games and then it's not fun because it's work all the time. And as a kid, you know, that's, what's going to happen. But I think it's, you know, two things, you know, we had talked about is, you know, don't burn out on it. Make sure you love going to the rink and space it out. And two, you know, don't give up on any pucks. I mean, that shows more than anything is tenacity and, you know, desire and passion on the ice more than, you know, technique and skating and, you know, who can make the flashiest glove save or whatever, you know, it's, coaches are going to notice you battling for pucks every single play more than they're going to notice one guy who, you know, reaches back and makes an incredible stick save or a glove save, so.
0: Well,
5: my biggest advice for young goalies would be you, you have to be, actually probably more for a little older, but you have to be thick-skinned. You have to be able to, to wipe away a goal, not take it personally. You know, I mean, I'm sure you always, you, I'm sure you remember when we taught goalies at camp, they score a goal. What are you supposed to do? You forget sweep about out the it. crease. Yeah. You sweep out the crease, you sweep away that goal, and you get focused on the next one. Because yep. it's – it's um, goalies – goalie – being a goalie can be the f- most fun position you could ever play. But it's also the most difficult because mm-hmm. you know what? No matter what happens, you let the puck go in. Yep. I always told – I remember – I used to always tell my my young goalies, you cannot blame any player for a goal being scored but they can all blame you.
3: I, I got some beer league footage. I, we can blame some of my defensemen on the goals. Well, yeah, but
5: <laughs> the reality, is, the reality is, is they're going to come back and say, yeah, but you let it in. Yeah. You're yeah. right. So you just have to be thick-skinned. You have to, you have to be able to shake it off, and you just have to understand that people aren't going to, be, people aren't going to hold it against you. They're not going to think you're a, you're a lesser person if you have a bad game or you, know, you right. let in a couple of they're not going to, you know, it's It's part of life. You're going to be a goalie. You just have to be able to handle that because that's the way it's going to be. You're going to have teammates and you're going to have players that are going to say it was your fault we lost. Well, if you let in four goals, technically they're yeah. not wrong, but you just have to understand that they're not right either. Yeah,
3: and some nights it
11: is, Mike. You know, have fun and work hard, and, and celebrate that you're working hard and celebrate the moment. Um, it's definitely not about the wins because how many goalies do we see on fantastic teams that get to win lots of games because of the team they're on mm-hmm. um, celebrate the working hard and, uh, and whatever level you play. Um, and this is advice I've had from other coaches and other goaltenders, whether it's minor hockey or major junior NCAA, there's going to be guys on that team that are just there. Cause I like to play hockey and have a good time.
0: Mm -hmm.
11: And there's going to be guys that sort of rise above that and set themselves above that in terms of their work ethic and passion for the game. And, and if you want to make that next step, you have to be that guy. So don't try and be like everybody else. You have to be, you have to be different. You have to be yourself and you have to to learn to love the game and work passionately for it. Um, Nobody's, nobody can do that for you. But, uh, but if you do uh, in time, you, you can get to some, some, some great places.
12: Patience. I think the more that I'm learning through, you know, the research we're doing is please don't rush this. Um, you know, you're going to, you're going to develop if you play, and you're probably going to play if you stay back a little bit longer than you want to. And, and again, um, that old saying that you're going to get better by being on the higher team, even if you're not playing just because the practices are going to be at a higher level, the statistics don't show that to be true. So mm-hmm. play at whatever level you're actually going to play and, and actually thrive, not just survive. So mm-hmm. um, it'll come if you, if you wait. Yeah, and I, and I guess I hope that that advice goes to parents because to your point, I truly don't think that the kids think certain ways without their parents thinking at first. So parents, please be patient. Parents, please let your kids take the long road. Uh, yep, don't put too much pressure on your kids.
13: Well, I, I think the, the advice is, you know, you have to be yourself and don't uh, um, don't get caught up in uh, – you want goalie coaching, but you don't want over-goalie coaching. Uh, you want bring your style and your game out because that's what you believe in and that's going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And don't waver from that. If, if Dominic Kashuk would have wavered on it, we never would have saw – what we saw yeah you know so um I, I believe that uh, your personality as a goalie has to come out you have to be what you are and 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 make that the best you can be and but in the meantime you have to have a base to fall back on that gives you some sort of credibility I think um you know to, to get you through some tough times
14: You know, uh, I would say just, and it sounds trite, but it's true um, that you continue just to love the sport. Um, You know, don't be thinking about, uh, you know, where you're going to play and how long. And I have, I get those messages a lot about, you know, kids, they're really worried about where they'll be in a couple of years and and all that stuff, and, you know, and, and I was a kid that was at a, at a pipeline that, I, that, you know, I've, I've had teammates that went on to play pro, teammates that went on play in the NHL, and, and, and there was a time that that was my entire universe, too, and and as I kind of talked about that, that previous experience, I kind of uh, really started falling out of love with Hawk, you know, when I had yeah. that coach, I was those constantly and stuff, and, you know, try to enjoy the game, the game, and continue to just you know be a part of it and if you need to take a break from it come back to it quickly and you'll be glad you did um yep. but yeah like I said one that's just always smiling when I get out on the ice I'm having fun all the time always, you know when I'm on my way home from the rink yeah you know, for shinny uh I'll call my wife and she'll ask how it went and even I say I got lit night but I played hockey and and that yep. uh, feels very full to have that have that and just enjoy the game for for what it is Well,
16: I think, uh, you know, the game's changed a lot, you know, you know, you and I are probably close in age. The game has changed a lot in the past 20, 25, 30 years. And, um, I I would say as long as you are in that crease and having an absolute blast and just enjoying every time you get to make a save, um, I'd say the biggest advice is don't be hard on yourself. I would say that that'd be my biggest, uh, Because goalies are hard on – we can be hard on ourselves. We're our own worst critics. And, and uh, you just got to shake it off and work, uh, work hard. And, um, but, yeah, don't, don't be hard on yourself. Just have fun.
0: Okay, hey, this is going to sound stupid, but it's the best advice I was ever given, and it holds true to this day. Um, never take your eye off the puck. You, you're going to be – there will be times where there will be traffic – Yep. In front of you, and you can't quite track it perfectly. But there, yeah. While the play is ongoing, never take your eye off the puck. Watch it. I don't care if it's in the other end. I don't care if your team's on the power play, moving the puck around. You watch that puck, and you never take your eyes off it. I've watched so many bad goals go in because a player, a goalie's uh, unfocused. He takes his eyes off the puck, and next thing you know uh the puck is behind him
14: Uh my biggest thing for anybody and everybody is the work you put in off the ice is just as important as the work you put on on the ice um so stretching, workouts, all that stuff is just as crucial
19: Yes So,
14: you know, and proper rest days and proper uh recovery is one of the biggest ones that I can tell anybody to do. <laughs>
15: So two, so two things. One is skating, um, skating, skating, skating. When I talked about you can't move, you can't play. Um, you know, it, it's fun to slide around on your knees, but you need to learn how to skate upright is better. You can get places faster connected to the ice with your blades than you can with, with your pads. Um, so movement is so key. Uh, don't ignore that at a young age. Um, and beyond that, like, I think just like, be open to new ideas and sort of you have to sort of learn how to self-diagnose as you get older and learn what your foundation is But so that doesn't mean you should ever block out other people's ideas and at least be willing to give them a try you actually have to learn how to manage that as you get different coaches as you mm-hmm. grow up like sometimes we've talked about it, it's been a bit of common theme on the podcast you guys will bounce around during the year and each coach will want them to do something different and how you find that balance one of the keys is being willing to try. Um, and then the other thing I would say for kids is definitely get a subscription to Ingwell Magazine uh, Premium Edition because that will help you. And there's one other really brilliant thing. Oh, yeah. Physical literacy. And this is maybe a message to parents as well. Just had this conversation with uh, with Colin Delia as well. He added Pilates this summer. Um, I'm going to have a story coming up pretty soon on bar, you know, bar, yep. but ballet. Like a lot of goalies are starting to do that now too. I know Justin, you mentioned Justin Goldman being on the podcast and that he's a big Pilates guy. Um, we've talked about yoga over the years. Tim Thomas, you know, speaking of Timmy, uh, you know, how it helped him, you know, avoid hip surgery for your yoga. And then once he had the hip surgery, helped him recover. Um, you know, different types of training, the Maria Mountains, the Adam Francilias that really understand the biomechanics of goalie movement and are training you towards that. Um, but as much as some of this stuff is related to goaltending or position specific, like physical literacy is about doing different things.
13: Mm-hmm. I don't
15: care if it's ballet or gym. One of the untold stories of the Russian goaltending revolution, talking to uh, UC Parkilla, the uh, Colorado Avalanche College coach who was in the KHL when this all took off. He's like, hey, there's tons of kids and they're all in these, these like schools that are kind of like um, like athlete schools. And one of the things mm-hmm. they're doing every day is like, I went to the it's gymnasium, that's what it's called. It's like I went to gymnasium class and they're all like doing perfect, these dance moves and they all have to be, footwork has to be perfect. And the, the control over the body as dancers, that all these kids that were then playing hockey later in the day had to learn as part of their gymnasium class at a young age, like dancing can help.
8: Know the game, know your history for sure. Yeah. Um, Circling back to a little bit ago, if you if you work with a goalie coach or anyone who's knowledgeable, um, you know, soak in the knowledge. Don't just go through the motions. Like, mm-hmm. think about it on the drive home before you go to bed. Take notes. Write it down. Yeah, just think about it and apply it to your game. That's how you get better. And, and on that note, don't don't ever take a minute off if if you have a practice. I mean, take breaks if you need a water break or a breather. Yeah, sure. But I just mean. Don't ever go through the motions in practice. If you want to get better, if you want to reach your max potential, you got to put in the work every opportunity you get. And uh, you know, even on those days where you don't really feel like it, you just got to push through. And in the end, it'll it'll always be worth it every time. Yeah, so it's a lot well, of hard work being a goalie. Like kids don't realize how hard it is. Um, it's really difficult, but if you have the drive and the passion, it doesn't feel like work at all.
17: Um, I'd say I mean, especially now, kind of in a point where I'm, you know, likely not gonna get that last game. Um, just soak up every moment. It's so tough, especially kind of I mean, even now I look back at even my youth days and just wish like I mean I enjoyed them and it had a blast, but I just wish I knew how much I was gonna miss them even now. Like, mm-hmm. you know, technically I'm still in college and Hopefully still I'm going to get one more game, but um, I think just soaking up every moment. I remember last year too, I was, there was a point kind of midway through last season and I was like, look, like I'm only, I only have a year and a half of this left. Like I'm going to try and soak up every game, every moment. Um, And little did I know, thankfully I started last year, um, but little did I know that, you know, I might not even last the season that I had.
18: uh build your toolbox learn to read the play learn different ways to make a save like it, there's something to be said for finding a way to stop a puck like Hasek did who to mm-hmm. me is the greatest of all time like Vassy does now Flower does yeah. it really well like all of these all of these top tier goalies Hank does it like they find a way to stop a puck that isn't in that isn't in the rule book. Like you just find a way to make a save. I think that that's
3: in the best um, drill for that is at the end of the practice, just playing some rebound. Oh yeah. Uh, I love playing rebound. You know, I play
18: rebound in warmups now.
3: Yeah. We we had our own rank and we were the only ones that used it. And we only had the two men's teams and the one women's Mm -hmm. team that used it. So we had a little more, downtime and we would go out there in the middle of the day if we didn't have class and play yeah. rebound for hours and uh yeah. it, it was funny because i was doing a photo shoot for cab sports they, they have that 3d printed helmet and they needed a goalie uh-huh.
21: Uh-huh. and
3: so there was a lot of downtime and so we got to kind of poke around on the one end of the ice and was like let's play rebound guys
15: yeah absolutely. it was like the first
3: time i played in years and it was like oh my god i forgot how
15: fun this was Um, I'd say a common thing, thing I would, I would give to younger goalies is is just keep working hard, especially at the, at the younger levels, they don't get too much help. No. So they definitely get run up on the scoreboard just a little bit. So I I would say it's not always about, you know, if you're winning or losing, as long as you're having fun and working
2: hard, you know, stick with it and, and things will shake out. Uh, My, my thing is, is handle the mental game first, start there first. Um, Other than second, getting a good helmet, maybe get a good helmet first would be my first one. (laughs) Spend good money on that over the custom pads. I did the opposite way. And I, uh, you know, got tinnitus in my ear from ringing, get a good helmet. Would probably be the first one that a lot of, I think, young people overlook because it's not that like hottest or fanciest thing. Um, But then I would say, um. Yeah. Handle the mental game and Justin Goldman, the goalie guild. His books are fantastic. um There's so much value in there, um, not just for goalies. It the value in there is just life skills. I used a lot of that stuff to learn a bunch about myself, and I'd highly recommend anybody out there, you know, looking at it because it's a, it's a lot about looking inwards and learning and breathing mm-hmm. and dealing with you know adversity. So
3: yeah, I'm excited to get my hands on his new book that he's got out new- too.
2: Me too. Yeah. Ah. So I would say that would be my, my number one is handle between the years and the rest will follow. Um, spend more time on, on that stuff than you think it, um, because yeah. as you get older and, you know, you're probably going to spend more time out of this game than you will in, if you're trying to be a professional, uh, even, you know, professionals play for 25 someone years, you're going to probably have more of your life outside of hockey than you will uh, in it. So prepare yourself for tools that will help you succeed in that, uh, just as well as hockey.
21: Young players, it, I mean, you, I think especially Minnesota. My my the biggest thing is, you know, it's easy it's easy to get fallen fallen into the um, trap that this you know you got to make the high school teams and you got to, you know. It's the team after team after team. But I think the biggest advice is just keep playing. I mean you're never you're never gonna be in a spot where you can't play and um some of the best memories you'll ever have is from hockey and that is proven. And I, I just would say that um you know I'm not saying don't make the team. Yeah. Make the team. Play wherever you can, but the reality of this sport is and as you get older and even I think people will come out of some higher level teams would tell you that yeah, this is about having a good time and, you know, be the best you can be, but, you know, take yeah. it to a point that you you understand that it, you can do this your whole life and never give up. It, right now we're skating with a kid who's 14 years old, comes to all our our men's league skates, and he he is great. He's a great player. I mean, he's smart, mm-hmm. fast. Um, he's not very big right now. He's also 14, but the kid, when you talk to him, completely gets it. He gets hockey. He gets the fact that, you know, he's playing in a good good team, but he also gets the fact that, you know, this, it's every time he says, I said, hey, John, do you have a good time? He's like, this was so much fun. I, I can't wait to come back and do this again. Yep. And people are skeptical of that kid coming to our skates. And I said, you know what? If he's got the guts to get out there and play and wants to do it with these guys, then do it. You're you're dealing with a lot of I mean we have good players on our skates, so I'm not super worried about it. Yeah, there
3: there's some of the better pickup skates
21: I've been at, that's for sure. And uh, you know, he gets out there and every time he's like, Oh, this is so much fun. I'm getting notes from his parents saying how much fun he has. So I, I would say the biggest advice I give to kids is, you know, this is about having fun. You meet some great people and it's not always about making a team, but you know, just keep keep on skating and don't give up.
20: I I would say that, you know, don't get down on yourself. That's my advice to young goalies is it's, it's a tough position and it's a very difficult position. It's awesome. But don't get down on yourself ever. Always just stay positive and, um, you know, just, uh, try to learn something new every day about the position and definitely reward yourself. You know, when you make a big save, you know, feel good about it. And, and you know, pat yourself on the back whenever you can, because, you know, you're going to need it. You, you got to be your own best friend. Hey,
3: I'm a beer leaguer. So anytime I make any save, big or not, I pat myself on the back. <laughs>
22: <laughs> Dave, what about you? I'm, I'm going to have a sec-
3: I truly hope you've enjoyed year one of Tendy Talk. I have some big plans for year two, and I'm working on scheduling some notable guests and others who I feel have an interesting and timely story to share. It's funny how many goalies I've been in contact with who want to be on the show, but scheduling around each other's calendars make it difficult at at times. I'll keep pestering them, though, and find times that work for both of us so that I continue to put out great episodes. In the meantime... You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and YouTube simply by searching for Wash Up Goalie. Visit washupgoalie.com for some great hockey related content, my Beer League hockey video highlights, and of course, all podcast episodes. If you want some washup up goalie or Tendy Talk Apparel, be sure to visit my threadless shop by clicking the merchandise link on my website. If you like this podcast, go listen to the BLPA Big Show. It's the OGBLPA Podcast Network show where a couple of beer league players talk beer league hockey, dropped experience shenanigans, and exploits from around the game. The show is hosted by Nick Jones and previous Tendy Talk guest Trish Dangle. Be sure to check out the full lineup of hockey-related podcasts on the Hockey Podcast Network as well. There are too many to list here, but shows like the Windy City Benders with former podcast guest Tanner Houston and... The Soda Pod, where they talk Minnesota Wild and craft beer, are just a sampling of what you can find on the Hockey Podcast Network. I need to thank the band Zambonis for allowing me to use their music on my podcast. You can download their music on iTunes or listen wherever you stream music from. I'm working on lining up other goalies to talk to. If you are a goalie or have connections to a goalie who I should talk to, shoot me an email at washupgoalie39 at gmail.com or send me a DM on social media. And let's not forget, if you are a brand who wants to sponsor the show, be sure to reach out to me. I'd be happy to talk and work something out. And finally, if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on the podcast platform you're listening on. It's a quick action on your part that helps others find Tendy Talk. So until next time, keep your stick on the ice and your body square to the puck.